Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. <laughs> Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. I'm your host, Jeremy Whitley. I write comics, books, podcasts, screenplays, etc. And on each episode, we're going to be talking about a piece of work from the horror genre, be it movies, TV shows, podcasts, games, books, comics, poetry, music, fine art. If it's spooky, we're into it. The one catch is that whatever the piece of art is, we're going to evaluate it through a progressive lens. So we're going to talk about feminism and horror, race and horror, LGBT rap and horror, physical and mental disability and horror. We recognize that horror as a genre never agreed to this podcast, but my favorite thing about horror movies is being surprised. And there's nothing more surprising than a horror movie that has something important to say, in between the screams, of course. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the 1999 film, The Mummy. And with me tonight to do that is an all-star panel of brilliant folks. First, returning his fellow comic book writer, Ben Kahn, whose work you may have seen in Heavenly Blues, Griffin, and the upcoming Renegade Rule. And brand new to the show, professional geek and founder of Latinx Geeks, the amazing Alexis Sanchez. Also with us, the Eisner Award-winning editor of Puerto Rico Strong, writer and editor of the Lion Forge Catalyst Prime Universe, Desiree Rodriguez. Desiree, Alexis, Ben, thanks for returning from the dead to talk about The Mummy with me. Hello. Hi. You, I, I would travel a long distance to get to talk about The Mummy. <laughs> oh, yeah, same, same. Awesome. Yeah, and that would, be, that would be pretty good. This movie was pretty heavy on young Ben's blockbuster rental rotation. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I have the... DVD collection, which includes the third movie, which I refuse to watch. Third movie but, doesn't um, count. Doesn't exist. Yeah, no, it absolutely like, does not count. But I've had that DVD like for at least 10, 12 years now. So like, this like, is a solid favorite of mine. This, The Mighty Ducks and Mask of Zorro got, that was like my big three in like the blockbuster, <laughs> like Friday night movie rental rotation. <laughs> yeah, those are pretty solid choices. I feel like this movie is, is uniquely targeted for, we, we've been championing uh, bisexual protagonists. I feel like this is really targeted toward a bisexual audience here. Oh, 100%. I, I had in my notes, how many bio-awakenings did this movie cause? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. As, like, when I was younger, like, seven-year-old Alexis was like, oh, no, Evelyn is just really, really cool, and I want to be exactly like her. And as I grew up, it changed to oh no, she's also really, really pretty. And I would like to kiss her face, which has not, <laughs> like Rachel Weisz has not at all alleviated that, like with all the movies that she's doing, like she's become even more of a terror in my life. And so like, I feel like Rachel Weisz and Brandon and Brandon Fraser, like that chemistry yeah. is like every part of this movie works, but it all starts on the foundation of them just having incredible chemistry everybody had great hair <laughs> yes oh, such good hair. such pretty hair and pretty smiles and when brendan teenage des was like hey <laughs> when brendan fraser comes out after he gets out of jail and he has the haircut and he's shaved yeah and, well <laughs> and right and and rachel weiss is just shook yeah just like oh 
Like, well, he cleans uh, up. Okay, uh, okay. Hello. Very di- different. Like, yeah, well, it's, no. It's, it's funny, even having seen this movie a bunch of times and knowing what Brendan Fraser looks like, when he comes out in that scene, it's going, I still like, damn, like, yeah Damn. still every I time that's like, a real like a tribute to like his acting ability mm-hmm. like that he was able to be so grungy and gross when you first see him and then he comes out and it's not just like the fact that he shaved like it's yeah. that it's he's really charming it, yeah like, it's right where i would use the words like dashing or gallant but i'm like yeah, yeah. no that's that's a dashing man right there <laughs> yeah yeah and he's got like full control of that lopsided smile like it just works on so many levels yeah, he's also, as good uh, of a Han Solo as Han Solo, I feel like. Jeremy, I do mm. want to point out that after the first, that doing this after the first purge, this is our second episode in a row uh, doing a movie starring a Doom Patrol star. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. We got Joyvin yeah, Wade solid. last week. We got Brendan Fraser this week. Diane Guerrero, I need you to do some horror. <laughs> yeah, like she hasn't done like a total B level horror film like every other person out there, every other actor. All right. And you're trying to figure out something with Boomer, and the only thing that we can nah, that Boomer hasn't like, done any horror. Come on, Boomer, get with just, it. Just get on some magic mic there, and we'll call it a horror. <laughs> I haven't looked into Timothy Dalton's filmography, but there's got to be. I'm sure, there's plenty. If um, nothing else, it's a, it's not it's another excuse to watch uh, Hot Fuzz. I do love some Hot Fuzz. Now, just to to get into a little bit of what this movie is, uh, it is written and directed by Stephen Sommers. Uh, are there any trigger warnings we want to give people before we jump into talking about this movie if, if they're thinking about watching it or, or anything like that i would say there's a little bit of like and granted it's all done in like shadow silhouette but there's some violence against women that made me go like "Ooh, this is pretty unflinching even if it's in shadows yeah like that would definitely be there but I don't think there's like huge, huge things that you wouldn't expect out of a horror movie, like yeah. horror actiony movie. If you're like freaky about dead bodies, um, or yeah. it's been so on I the should, body horror side. Yeah, it's like the yeah, yeah. like. I, I feel like this movie was my, growing up, this movie was my first real exposure to body horror. And there's one mm-hmm. scene in particular that absolutely gave me nightmares. But yeah, if you got things about bugs, this is maybe not. Yeah. Really oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you're, That's true. yeah, if you got this about insects or maybe just certain, um, yeah, really just like dead bodies and some un- uncomfortable violence, I'd say. There's a bit of forced kissing, but uh, luckily, I- with all the horror movies I watched this month, this is a nice break from rape as a plot element. Yeah, luckily the one thing it does not have. I liked how they talked about it. Like, it wasn't just a forced kiss and then it's like, oh, but I get away with it because I'm like the handsomest. It's like, I like that there was a conversation and then they were like, about that, that like there was a confrontation. She was like, Why, why'd you do that? And he's like, eh, I was going to die. Yeah. Which again, like, if, oh, if I'm about to die, I could think of worse things to do, like than kiss Rachel Weiss before going out. Yeah. But yeah. still, always, always ask beforehand. And on our uh, on our rating of how how this movie is scary, starting with spoopy, going up to spooky, terrifying, or existentially disconcerting, uh, how would you guys rate this one? I would say mm-hmm. it's like ninety percent in like pure spoopy action adventure funness with some definite 10% body horror that definitely freaked me the fuck out as a kid. Yeah, I I would even venture a little bit into the spooky territory just because it makes really good use of like jump scares. Like the jump scares in this movie, I would say are very solid and absolutely terrified me as a child. 
Yeah, this movie was spookier than I remembered it being. Um, because I, I started to sit down and watch this with my daughter, who is nine. And um, she, before we even got to any of the really spooky stuff, like the point that uh, Imhotep gets buried, covered in bugs, she was like, all right, mm. we're done. Um, <laughs> oh, no. Watching this movie, <laughs> but I am done with this movie. When Imhotep first comes back and you're still in the catacombs, like, uh, and the one American loses his glasses, that's, Ooh, a, yes. like, that's scary. That's that's capital S scary. Yeah. Yeah. And they they make very good use of that like close-up shot, like on his face, and he's like, something's behind me, and but he doesn't see anything. And then oh. Imhotep is like right there in your face. You're just like, oh, okay. Cool. So I do have a note about that, which is I do think it's BS that since Imhotep stole eyes that needed glasses, Imhotep should have also needed glasses throughout the movie. <laughs> He chose the worst guy to steal his eyes. <laughs> like he yeah. Like, Emotep should, like, the whole movie should have been like, I know I'm a scary, all-powerful mummy, but I still need the bifocals. Yeah. Still uh, nearsighted. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I feel like... You got really, really good ancient LASIK surgery, like, right after. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, I mean, he misidentifies her as an ox and a moon, and I, I just wanted for him to put on some glasses and be like, oh, no. You don't, you don't look anything shit. like her. So. They don't look anything alike. <laughs> they look about as much alike as Kagome and Kikio looked alike in Inuyasha. Like, absolutely <laughs> nothing, like, except for having similar face shapes and both being women. That's a deep yeah. cut, and I am here for it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. The sequel okay. for that show came out, so it just reminded me. I'm, I'm, I'm still salty. Oh, yeah, um, there is a sequel. Is that any good? I don't know. I don't. I haven't watched it yet. Okay. Romiko Takahashi isn't involved, so I'm like, what's the point? Yeah, that, that um, does, it doesn't count then. I, I think the movie was like, I don't know, kind of like diet spooky, like. <laughs> but I, I watched a lot of like weird stuff as as a kid. The scariest things for me was like the bugs because I hate I hate legs, like I hate the legs on, but like they move so quickly. I don't oh, like yeah. things that can move quicker than me, which is so many things. This like, felt like the buffet of movies. Like it had a little bit of everything. It's like, yeah, let me get a little bit of horror. Let me get action. Let me get like old school, like, tre- like treasure hunting adventure. Let me get mm-hmm. some good romance going. Like I felt like this movie had like a little of everything going on. Yeah, it's a really well done balanced movie. I just rewatched the first two last night and I was just reminded of how much, like how well balanced that first movie is. Um, I remember yeah. the Roger Ebert review when The Mummy came out, he had said it was like the perfect popcorn movie. That that I agreed with, like it is. It's got action, the adventure, it's got that little bit of comedy um, without feeling like overly quippy, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is great. Yeah. Like the cast like- chemistry is all good. Like Brendan, Fra- like, Brendan and Rachel, hold down the movie but the rest of the cast really round out the movie oh yeah um, especially uh john hannah as jonathan oh, the brother mm-hmm. yes <laughs> he's so great i made a special note about for, about him later in the uh the, the last segment of this review ben um, I'm, a, I'm looking forward to it <laughs> well let's uh talk a little bit about what happens in the movie we're going to do a rundown of of the plot and uh, where we where we go here it starts out with our introduction to CGI ancient Egypt, which, yeah. man, most of the special effects in this feel like they've aged really well. CGI ancient oh, yeah. Egypt is not. It Practic- feels weird and muddy. This is a movie full of practical effects at the absolute top of their game and the most 90s of 90s CGI. 
Yeah. yeah, yeah, the CGI. Also, like they whitewashed like the statues, like in that beginning, like, and it is hilarious every time <laughs> I see it. I'm like, yeah, that's just some white guy's face right on that statue. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah, it's it's rough, and I think I was going into this movie worried about how it treated people of color. And I mean, obviously it has the same kind of issue that a lot of movies about ancient Egypt do as far as whitewashing characters. Um, But I felt like for, with one very notable exception, it does pretty well with the like current characters of color in this movie. Uh, But yeah, this ancient Egypt bit is, is not good (laughs) in in that respect. Um, How do we feel in terms of like the casting? Because it definitely doesn't, See that they got very many people, actors, very few actors actually from the Middle East to play these Middle Eastern roles. Very 1999. Yeah, very like, okay, they're in the region of the Middle East and Africa, so that's good enough. Like, the only one that's really, like, not um, from the Middle East or from Africa in the cast, like, in the cast of people that are supposed to be people of color, really, is Anaxunamun who is like from Venezuela or something, which is why every time I used to see this movie, I'd be like, why does she look like Selena? And like, she's from Venezuela or Colombia. It's one of the two. I can't remember right now. Yeah, but yeah, that Venezuela. always threw me off a little bit. And I'm there, like, there is a moment in the movie where <laughs> Rachel Weiss's character, Evie says, Egypt is in my blood. And I yelled at the screen. No, it is not. <laughs> Yeah, it's literally the first two characters it introduces us to, Imhotep and Anaxinamun, who are both supposed to be ancient Egyptian. Imhotep, the, the guy who plays him, is, is a white South African, and mm-hmm. uh, Anaxinamun is Venezuelan. <laughs> so yeah. I was like, hmm. She's also a, she's, a, she's the Pharaoh's girlfriend and a, a real body paint trailblazer. Um, yes, yeah. She's ahead of the game on body paint as, as an outfit. Well, that's, yeah, yeah. I guess it's like, I guess the idea with the, her whole body paint was the first like, oh, I'm going to put body paint all over you. So if any of it's smudged, I know you've been cheating on me. But it's like, damn, that you, like, you can't scratch yourself at all. Yeah, ever. every time he that's points a, at that, like, like that's black intense. smudge. That's I hope you don't real, just, like, I hope you don't. sticky. Yeah, like, right? I hope you don't <laughs> at any point in your life trip. She works very yeah, and carefully. with the sand, like you know, it's oh. just like sandpaper, just like oh. oof, like that's rough. kudos to like her handmade in person or whatever who had to like paint that on her every single day, every like morning. for hours yeah. on end because you have to have a steady ever. hand. At that that's point, like level mm. twenty cosplayerness right there. Yeah, <laughs> no, I feel like at that point they would just like dip her in gold in the morning and then paint on the lines. Like she just had like a little bathtub, like bloop. And then, you know, get into the black line paint and all that. See, now I'm wondering uh, how long the actress had to actually sit in, like, hair and makeup for that outfit. Oh, I mean, that scene is, I, like, she looks gorgeous. That's, oh, my yeah. gosh, that was so, such a hot scene. But, like. That whole ancient Egypt set is great. Like, I loved all Oh, like, yeah. I do feel like this movie is a love letter to practical effects and big practical, like, old Hollywood style sets in a way. Yeah. I did notice in The Mummy 2, they relied more on CGI, and it doesn't age nearly as well as, like, the first one did. The rocks, as, you know, Oh, gosh, that's the worst CGI. The worst CGI. CGI didn't age well the, on the day it came out. Yeah. 
That like, was. I, I, I was like, how does how did Emotep like, look better? <laughs> Like as a walking bug-eyed mummy, juicy mummy in the first one in 1999, than this does, than the Rock does as a half scorpion centaur man in, <laughs> in whatever year this came out with like ten legs. Like, yeah, no, it looks it's like bad. a special effect to begin with. So, like, once you add special effects on top of him, it becomes it becomes strange. <laughs> well, it doesn't help that like he alone is animated like he's in that Beowulf movie. Yeah. Yeah, it's so it's so bad. But the mummy like that nineteen ninety-nine one is just it's it's so solid with that that beginning. And then like when you actually get to like meeting Rick O'Connell in the desert, like what is it, like nineteen twenty something, and that mummy face in the sand, like the like whipping sand and everything, and it finally shows up. That is such a solid, solid scene. Like yeah. oh, I love it. So much. Yeah, it's so such much. a great introduction to Frasier's to uh, Rick O'Connell. Mm-hmm. Rick O'Connell and Benny, the worst oh, human being on the planet. Benny. Benny, <laughs> Benny yeah. the biggest piece of shit on the planet. Oh, the worst. So, so before before we get to that scene, we have to we have the business of Seti the first and uh, Anax and the Moon and Imhotep. Anax and Moon and Imhotep are, are deeply in love despite her belonging to Seti. And I guess th- it shows him touch her arm and smudge the paint. And I guess that's as far as they go because that's the only only smudge. And I was I was just thinking if you're going to go that far, if you're going to smudge the paint, like maybe go, go further, guys. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, once that's, that's a, that's a like, in once it's off the lot, the you've already got you've already yeah. brought that problem for yourself does, does the phrase in for a penny in for a pound exist in ancient egypt yeah. <laughs> yeah, so city city discovers that there is a single smudge on her and confronts them and then they kill city and then the magi who are his his bodyguards not great bodyguards yeah clearly. No. Which the Magi thing, it's spelled one way in all the mummy literature. And then like the, the subtitles on it on Voodoo were like the Magi, you know, like the oh, three gosh. wise men. Yeah. I was like, well, I don't think that's like, I don't nope. think that's the correct spelling. And thanks, yeah. Voodoo intern. <laughs> that's the temp worker just going, I'm not paid enough to look it up. Fuck it. <laughs> the bodyguards are not there to guard his body, but they are there enough to to stab and kill an ox and a moon. And then Imhotep retrieves her body, tries to take her to the city of the dead uh, to revive her. Um, Habanaptra, which will is a word that we will say a lot in this movie. Mm-hmm. The guards pursue them. He's in the middle of a ceremony to bring her back, and uh, they interrupt it. She doesn't get brought back, and then they decide to put him in a torture so extreme and extravagant to as uh, reprisal for his crimes that. I guess there's like a subclause that if he somehow gets out of it, he gets to be an immortal uh, walking mummy. Um, to which, yeah. what if you didn't do that? Yeah, like just kill him like a normal person. Yeah, just, but like just, just, the whole just, Egyptian afterlife is such a complicated, complicated, like hundred step process <laughs> that like part of me is like, okay, yeah, I mean, you don't want him accidentally coming back or controlling the underworld. Like if something happens, like, so I'm like, what okay, if, but like still so bad. What it's if you did like the, the second or something? curse, <laughs> which yeah, right? doesn't require your descendants to spend all of their lives for 3,000 years yeah. just making sure this subclause never happens. 
Subclass, like there's a contract. <laughs> oh, yeah. but oh, these subclasses of demon curses has been a recurring theme on like yeah. in our short-lived series. Yeah, we were. I was just editing our Jennifer's Body episode, which has a, a number of weird uh, demonic possession subclasses in there. Mythology. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like if you're gonna torture someone and like they survive it like they do kind of deserve a reward you know so i mean i get it we hate him so much (laughs) we're gonna create the possibility that he can become an immortal all-powerful god Mm -hmm. just to torture him (laughs) a little bit extra just a little bit more it's like you were such a bad criminal we're gonna put you in jail but if you do get out we're just gonna give you a fucking super tank (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh so we, he, he gets uh, put in his coffin full of bugs uh, while he's still alive. Uh, and we flash forward in time to re- meet uh, Rick, Benny, and their French Foreign Legion cohorts who are not long for this world. Please. Along with, um, I feel like it's unclear who they're fighting in this scene. Um, there is a lot of men on horseback who are after them, but the Magi are watching nearby. So yeah. It's I th- because it's like around the 1920s, so I think it's like part of the Egyptian Revolution. Yeah, that would make like, sense. So that's what the history person in me is saying, but I'm not a thousand percent. Yeah, he says they they came over to find later. He says they came to Hamanaptera from, I guess I guess they're stationed in Libya with the French Foreign Legion. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, though it says his unit just went rogue. It was like fuck it, let's find like. Let's just find Atlanta. Let's just find like Egyptian El Dorado. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, the super cursed version of El Dorado in (laughs) Egypt. Let's like leave our post and go into an entirely different country where we're not allowed to be and uh, go find El Dorado. Sounds about white. I'm pretty sure there's (laughs) nothing keeping the mummy and the the uncharted video games from taking place in the same universe. I'm pretty sure. (laughs) I'm, I'm. I think if they'd done enough mummy uh, movies at some point, they would have run into Indiana Jones as well. I'm, I'm glad they stopped at three, even if they probably could have stopped at two. Oh, Who stopped? Oh, have. the mummy stopped at three. I was like, yeah. unfortunately, <laughs> Indiana Jones didn't stop at three. No. Yeah, no. and like the mummy verse did not stop at three either because Scorpion King show? has like six movies or something. Yeah, how they also that? made a, a cartoon show based on. Yeah, the which mummy I too. did watch. Yeah, the cartoon series was pretty. I it was. Do, solid there's a rich legacy of surprisingly good like late 90s early 2000s like cartoons on movies like the men in black Mm -hmm. cartoon yes that's exactly what i was thinking (laughs) it's bizarre because i feel like there's a bunch of 80s cartoons that everybody watched that turned out to be terrible and there's a bunch of 90s cartoons that nobody watched that are actually pretty good yeah yep this is now a podcast about jackie chan adventures (laughs) oh listen Oh, was it, if though. we got started into that, I was literally watching that last month. I watch it once a year. Like, <laughs> yeah, I can't get started on that. <laughs> Back to the plot. <laughs> All right. So they're they're fighting an unidentified group of people on horseback. Benny and Benny and Rick are the only two characters that matter because they're the only ones that are going to survive. Benny <laughs> is uh, giving Rick all sort of encouragement about how he's going to follow him through this. But then, of course, Benny runs away and locks himself inside the tomb. So Rick is facing off with. Uh, the rest of this army by himself. Uh, Rick survives by standing under a statue. Uh, it's oh, Anubis. Uh, yes, the statue of Anubis, which uh, freaks out the guys too much to attack him. 
which he discovers shortly why, because the ground makes a evil mummy face in it uh, and scares him off into the desert. <laughs> well, I don't. Which fair, fair. I'd I'd have that same reaction if a mu- evil mummy face just spontaneously. But appeared I don't in think he like saw the face. I think he just like experienced the sand going crazy. But I don't think he actually sees the face. He doesn't. From what I remember watching this yesterday, the sand does like the whoosh, whoosh, whoosh thing yeah, around but... him, and he's like, "Oh, that's not cool. Let me bounce." And <laughs> yeah. then when he bounces, and then it sinks in, right? Yeah, like then he bounces and like the face kind of like it, it was almost like the sand was carving out the face or something. I don't know. Yeah. I guess yeah, I think is like dramatic a- and he's like practicing his Instagram like selfie face or something. So <laughs> Brendan Fraser's practicing a lot of great faces in this movie. Yeah, this is also where we're introduced to the unnamed until you get to the credits Ardeth Bay, played by oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> Odette Fair. Would it be very handsome man? Uh-huh. extremely he would should have be, been dr strange would it be fair to call them ancient egyptian ninjas <laughs> that's kind of what they're going for they are they might be the laziest ninjas though because at this point in the movie they're like ah oh, man this guy definitely discovered some of this ancient tomb and one of the guys is like hey should we kill him and uh Odin fair is like ah, the desert will kill him this is really which i mean normally <laughs> yeah i would the most, not this for, time. For the Magi <laughs> are notoriously not great at their jobs. <laughs> I mean, it is a, they were born into their jobs, presumably. It's Yeah. I mean, they did an okay job for 3,000 years. I feel like that's a good streak. That's yeah. true. That's true. 3,000 years without a workplace incident is pretty good. <laughs> yeah, you know. To be fair, if they were good at their jobs, we don't have a movie. That's yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I was I was reading up on this, and apparently in the like original script, the Magi are supposed to be like tattooed all over, and their faces are supposed to be uh, like covered in tattoos. But Odin Fair is so uh, handsome that Stephen Sommers was like, "Yeah, we can't do that." Yeah, no, of course not. <laughs> yeah, what that kind sounds of ma- legit, and yeah. probably one of the best decisions that director has ever made in his career. Entirely. I do appreciate, especially near the end, how many shots of the movie are just like, just are just Oded Bear just looking, Oded Fair just looking rugged as hell. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm amazed he didn't like rip his shirt off at one point. Like, because he's always got like the guns in both hands and just looks incredible. And you're just like, ah, oh, yeah, okay. Just shows up on horseback. You just get the most lovingly low angle shot, just like hair yeah. blowing in the wind. There is yeah, always exactly. hair blowing in the like the wind yep. just loves this man. It's just caressing yeah. his face. It's just his like his hair oh, just yes. magically does that. Like <laughs> that's just all no dead fair. Yeah, he's he's the third in the trilogy of of extraordinarily attractive people in this movie. Um, yeah. Not that Imhotep is not. And I mean I guess it knocks in the moon as it, well, but she's in here for all of like Two minutes. Imhotep has a very specific kind of energy. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's a, he's a real drama kid, which we'll get to later. <laughs> uh, but at this point, we uh, flash forward uh, several years to uh, meet Evie, uh, who is our clumsy, nerdy librarian. Uh, who's very she's a very intelligent Egyptologist. She's also uh, incredibly awkward. And starts the movie by, or starts her part of the movie by knocking over everything in the library. Evie is adorkable before adorkable was a word. Yes, that is exactly the word I would use. Along with also just have like, just such good comedic timing with the like very like old school like 
oh, I'm on like in a ladder and it's going to fall over. But look at me balancing and being silly. And it's just so, so good. Like first she's spouting off like history facts, like it's nothing. And then she's like, oh, no. And it's just great. I just Rachel, love her so like, much. The whole character of Evie is just such a delightful protagonist. Mm. Yeah, what makes the character work is like this combination of sincerity and mm -hmm. like charm that Rachel brings and also that she is like the protagonist like we keep talking about like Indiana Jones and I just remember seeing the one um I can't remember which one because I don't really like those movies nobody come for me I'm not <laughs> on Twitter. probably Temple of Doom <laughs> um but we're like like the lead heroine is cool but she's cool and like in like this old school way where she's only cool because she gets to talk back a little bit but she doesn't actually do anything to move the plot along yeah she's Evie is a character feisty. that actually yeah she's feisty evie yeah. is not feisty like she's bookish and she actually gets to move the plot along and like yeah. her her bookishness her smarts is what helps like save the day well yeah and, like and it's something that the other characters actually do respect except for like you know the the americans and stuff and yeah. who are like what does a woman know and she's like i know yeah. everything well, yeah i feel like what like you know like temple of doom lady and with so many of like these you know the female leads in these kind of movies the trap they fall into is oh the writers like make them feisty but they never actually have agency whereas mm -hmm. i feel like evie al always has agency and is always yeah making choices and even when she becomes like the damsel in distress that's her active like showing agency and actively making the decision like this is part of the strategy like i save you now you save me later like i'm choosing to do this now yeah. and that's what <laughs> ends up making like the relationship between rick and evie work is that it's more built on less on like the damsel and the hero and more on like two equals coming together because like yeah. you said like she's like, I'll save you now, you save me later. And that's kind of the the balance that they have in their relationship. Like, even though Rick might be the one that's fighting the mummies, it's Evie's smarts that reads the lines from the book. Nobody else can do that but her. Like yeah. so I love I love their teamwork. It's yeah. So, so their teamwork comes off different. like so it's 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 less of like that kind of shoehorned in like straight romance that's just kind of obnoxious because the guy never respects the like the female protagonist and you're like why do you like him like i'm sorry harrison ford is not that pretty i don't get why you like him his character is so rude he's so obnoxious yeah, harrison ford never seems like he wants it's okay any i'll women text around. you later yeah like Yo, you there's there's a reason there's no indiana jones sequel where it's like he's married and it's a full-on yeah partnership about them being an amazing battle couple like adventuring <laughs> couple together yeah which, is, which this exactly movie like, yeah, obviously that would be the mummy returns <laughs> and and it, it works so well like the best parts of the mummy, mummy returns is like their relationship dynamic and they were even able to work in a kid and like the kid wasn't annoying and obnoxious um yeah. like most it's movie children enough. are it's um, definitely like i feel it's like a lot of the dynamic that you'd see in kind of like you know the quote-unquote battle couple trope but not them being like actiony badasses but them having complementary skills that they both respect about each other yeah yeah and i mean like they even have that cute like at least like rick has that cute little moment where he's trying to imp kind of impress her and he gives her a little gift and he's like yeah i uh got this for you and is all like awkward about it and it's so precious and i love him so much it's super like, precious that's the kind of guy like so you know that like the himbo trifecta like if you're <laughs> smart and dumb you know you're a jock or a hunk or just a decent guy he's like firmly in the hunk category of being beefy and kind and it is 
my favorite thing. Oh yeah. my, I loved that moment of him so giving her. I love that he stole something for her. That's <laughs> yeah. horrible. It's, so it's like the it's most chaotic, so... good romantic thing. Like, right? Like oh, someone could do. This for so you. And later he's going to shoot someone in the face because they're like, isn't that mine? He's like, uh-uh-uh. It is hers now. I like that part of their dynamic also is that like Rick is the tired, old, almost mentor type of character in this that's getting dragged back in. And Evie is like the excited protagonist. She is like... Yeah. She wants to go out and find the city of the dead. Rick is like, oh, I've been there. It sucked. I don't really want to go yeah. back. I feel, um, So if you're a Luke Hans shipper, like, I feel like this is the <laughs> dynamic movie for you. Yeah, actually, yeah. That is, that is what they kind of are. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so this is also uh, the scene where we, we meet her boss and then we meet her brother, we find out that, that both of her parents are dead and that her brother is a uh, a real scoundrel. Uh, the heart <laughs> of gold is TBD on this one. Comedic alcoholism shrug emoji? I mean, he enters the scene from within a sarcophagus to, to startle her. Just, yeah, it's just super disrespectful not, about the not dead. A, and it's not an empty sarcophagus, mind you. He <laughs> no. is straight up using... <laughs> He is abusing a dead body as, as, a, a, as, a, as a comedic <laughs> prop. He is carrot topping oh, a corpse. Yeah, so just like a 3,000-year-old corpse probably. And it's so wrong. But I love him so much because he's so excited about this little thing he might have found and he wants to show his sister because yeah, he knows wild. she's smart. The wild thing about it is Jonathan pops up and he's like, here's this thing I found at this dig site. Isn't it great? And she's like, oh, you didn't find this. He's like, oh, okay, maybe I stole it. Maybe I <laughs> stole this thing I'm so proud of. Also, is it worth money? She plays around with it, figures out it's a you know puzzle box and there's a map inside to Hamanaptra and then shows it to her boss who accidentally sets fire to it, which we'll learn In later is probably way. not accidental. Um, yeah he's like oh oh whoops is this on fire my goodness like really dude really <laughs> what how did this happen oh well, i made it my butter thing it's like either either he's the worst curator or you know he just really doesn't want anybody going to hamanatra which yeah. well we'll learn later is the case mm -hmm. um finding out that he stole it they go back to talk to the guy he stole it from which turns out to be rick who is in prison uh, for having a good time. Uh, the warden lady <laughs> says he is going to be hanged. Evie questions this and he says, apparently he had a really good time. Yes. Uh, which, is, which is maybe the best like series of, of one-line jokes in the movie. Um, I'm a big fan of Rick and Benny's one-liner tra one trade-off after <laughs> the riverboat fights. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Looks like I have all the horses. <laughs> Looks like you're on yeah, the wrong side of the river. It's so good. Yeah. I tweeted once, like, I don't know, a millennia ago, about how The Mummy might be one of, like, the most quotable movies. And how, like, if you mm -hmm. just show someone that gif of Rick yelling, like, Benny, it looks like you're on the wrong side of the river. Like, everybody will hear it in that voice, like, in <laughs> oh, that yeah. diction for yeah. how he says it. <laughs> It's yeah, so that long, yeah. long river. river. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so good. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Rick is there. He's totally gross. He is trying. He's yeah. telling them a little bit about uh, how he got it. K forcefully kisses Evie, which is, I mean, he's pretty gross. 
yeah. then um, we we get we get to meet the the warden a bit more. The warden is the it's the one the character I is, find uh... really problematic. Um, oh yeah, and the warden Gad Hassan, and he's uh, I mean he's kind of a Weasley guy in general, but they really make uh, a meal out of talking about how. Uh, how he smells and he's awful and he's really like one of the characters of color in the main cast like it's not yeah if if there had been more main characters of color i feel like it could have just worked as like a one-off community character but there's not enough for me to have it made me it definitely made me uncomfortable on this rewatch like for sure and then he's just like all gross with evie and it's just like but she puts him in his place eventually and yeah. it's just, yeah, he's he's not great. He's and, he's not yeah. gonna be here long, thankfully. <laughs> well, no, that's not true because uh, he stayed in my nightmares for for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's he's a really unnerving uh, bit with him in a little bit, but yeah, he he agrees to set uh, Rick free while Rick is currently being hanged. He agrees to set him free if you know they'll take him along to Hamanaptra. And you know, say they they cut him down. Apparently, they actually almost killed Brendan Fraser during this scene. Um, oh no! Oh my gosh! Well, I'm glad they didn't. According to Rachel Wise, it was pretty pretty bad, which is wild that that would ever even be a possibility. But yeah, apparently, there's a little actual asphyxiation in this, um, which is terrible. Oof. That's but, some Kubrick shit right there. Yeah, but yeah, she she saves him. They get ready to go meet up with Rick at the boat. And uh, this is where we were talking about before that Rick shows up. He's he's cleaned up, and I think I just have the word swoon written here. Mm, accurate. So what? now now we have our my traveling f- party of of Rick and the warden and Evie and Jonathan. My favorite part of that scene, though, isn't Brendan Fraser coming out after his makeover. It's definitely Rachel Weiss just being absolutely stunned. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, and then uh, then they have that exact moment with Evie when she comes out and like, oh no, that's after Egypt, right? No, that's after Evie, the like, boat. Evie's trip. mind is definitely just playing that gif of like, oh no, he's hot. <laughs> <laughs> well, they get aboard the boat and we discover that there's another group that's headed to Hamanatra. Uh, it's the Americans who the are cowboys. Who are downright cartoon cowboys. It's so good. It's yeah. so good. They're, uh, their names are won- Henderson, Burns, and Daniels, and then there's uh, the Dr. Chamberlain, who is the Egyptologist, and they are being led by Benny, the worst human in the world. There's something so satisfying about such cartoonish American stereotypes. Yep. It almost makes the warden, like, it makes him hurt less, I think, <laughs> that the Americans are also just so over the top and ridiculous. The most American of American characters in this movie are, like, laughably contemptible. Yeah, uh, I think it's Henderson in particular, who's the like giant square jawed cowboy who, yeah, meets meets an untimely death in which he has absolutely no ability to save himself. He's he, he goes down really easy. Rick really, in, I have in the notes. Rick really enjoys throwing people off of boats. He I mean, who by, does it? Yeah. He starts by throwing Benny off the boat after they have an argument, and then the uh, Majai attack. And at several points in this, he throws Majai off of the boat. And then, and then throws Evie off the boat. Throws Evie off the boat <laughs> as they escape. But you know, if I could, if I felt like I could get away with throwing people off boats and and not hurting them and everything being okay afterwards, I feel like it was a fun game to play. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I mean, jumping off boats is also fun. 
I also love that line exchange between them when he's like, can you swim? And she's like, when the situation calls for it, he oh, it picks calls her up yeah. and he's like, it calls for it. And he just tosses her. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I like right before that, when she's in the room, before the Medjai shows up, and she's just like thinking about him. And then she's like, gets kind of like daydream. And then she talks to herself and is like, oh, it wasn't even that good of a kiss. Like, what are you doing, Evie? Like, <laughs> it's so good. Like, she's like already swooning over him. <laughs> she's struggling, man. Yeah, she's like, oh, man, like this, this American. Like, it's so good. Yeah, I, I appreciate that there's like equal male and female gaze in this movie. Mm-hmm. I always tell me appreciate because so like the movie where because you so often see oh why the ma- why the male character would what would be interested in like the woman lead but it's so rare that they actually take the time to make the male character like actually attractive and desirable to the lead woman yeah yeah and the the magi as they attack the boat are asking about a key the boat burns down on the middle of the river as they all jump to shore, Benny and his guys end up at one side of the river and Rick and his crew end up at the other side and they have the exchange we just talked about where uh, <laughs> he tells Benny, he's, uh, Benny's happy that he's got all the horses, but uh, Rick points out that he's on the wrong side of the river. Then they just have a, there's a, a scene of riding across the desert followed by uh, they decide to race to Hamanoptera as it's, it, it has to be a certain time of day when the sun is in the right place for it to be revealed. They race to the river, and uh, it's actually Evie who gets there first. Yeah. Once again, the hero. <laughs> like, such a good role. Yeah. They all, they all get there. They start to make camp. They start to make their way into the, uh, into the temple. Uh, they start playing what is definitely like a Sierra point-and-click adventure game to <laughs> get mirrors to turn around to find yeah. their way into the temple. And, I mean, and the Egypt just it's like what does a woman know like oh you know he's scummy cool it's yeah. it's so good the the american group in this is really they're just really born to die <laughs> they're not <laughs> yeah they're not all they're, like really awful but they're there to die and for you to really not feel all that bad about it <laughs> they really embody a sense of like american arrogance mm-hmm. yeah yeah especially the british egyptologist <laughs> yeah i i think after this this point where they start breaking into the tomb and there's something that might be booby trapped. So they're like, let's get the diggers to check out the booby trap mm-hmm. just in case. And then the guys get sprayed with salt acid. I think from that point on, you're like, ah, I'm fine if the American guys die. Yeah. I mean, they read the curse and everything and still opened it. Like, listen, you, you got what's coming to you. Yeah. Which, uh, the warden is about to get that as well because he's picking jewel bugs off the wall until one of them hatches and uh, burrows into Ugh, him. The freak, one of the freakiest scenes. Yeah, you can see, you can hear the bug and you can see the like thing moving under his skin. And I'm unclear oh on gosh. exactly how he dies because he's running with this thing and it looks like he just goes headfirst into the wall. And I guess either that's how he dies or the thing that it's like eating eats him. It's like eating yeah, his, it's eating his brains, right? Yeah, I assume there's a combination of brain eating and then head smashing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's no, I don't, no, he's dead. It, that seems that seems freaked me out. Like time. when it's crawling up his belly and he was like swatting oh, at it, I yeah. was like, uh, like you see it go up the neck and then like into the cheek and then into the head through the cheek oh gosh it just <sighs> freaks me out every that's time that's the real 
That's the real nightmare bit of this movie. There's oh, a lot yeah. of like zombie or zombie and mummy special effects, but that's the one that as a kid stuck with me. This mm-hmm. this burrowing insect. Oh, oh, I still have like a of like insects like in your skin. That is definitely a like real fear for me, and this it hits it every time. Yeah. Uh, maybe don't watch The Perfection on Netflix because that has a very similar. Oh yeah, I. Thing. They show part part of that in the trailer, and I was like, "Nope, <laughs> never watching that." Cool. <laughs> yeah, not happening. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a rough scene. the the next The next thing that happens is they're they're getting ready to to stop for a bit, and the uh, Magi decide to write in and um, actually do something about fighting people this time. <laughs> um, I guess it didn't work out so so well for them the last time they let Rick go, so uh, now they're going to fight everybody. There's some some cross fighting between them, and Rick finally decides he's going to fight them with dynamite. At which point, Art of Bay is like, "All right, fine, just yeah. just go, just go away, or you're going to die." That's what we're here to tell you. Yeah. Uh, but you know, we're we're not here to fight you holding dynamite. He pieces out uh, with the rest of with the Magi. And they decide to spend the night instead of instead of running away and surviving, they decided to spend the night drinking. Rick is trying to figure out what Evie is. Evie proudly declares that what she is is a librarian. And then she tries to kiss Rick before drunkenly passing out. Yeah, but that's like that's probably one of my favorite Evie lines where she's like, Well, I may not be an adventurer like my brother, or like she's like but I am proud of what I am. I am a librarian. And for such a long time, I was like, yeah, I too would like to be a librarian. She makes it sound so cool. Being a librarian is awesome. Good for her. It's so good. Like, it's such a good moment for her. She's so proud of herself. Yeah. It's also really cool because it rubs up against like that, like that action movie, horror movie phenotype of like, you know, the standard female heroine being feisty and spunky Mm -hmm. and the emphasis on like the violence and the action and the physicality of everything, which this movie of course does have, but you know, Evie represents like, like the opposite of that. Like, and I mean, she gets actiony in the second one and it, it gets a little funky and weird. Um, though Rachel plays it pretty well, but in the first one, I mean, she really is. She's, she's like, I'm proud to be bookish. I'm proud that like I can, you know, recite all this knowledge. I'm proud mm-hmm. to be smart. Like, she takes a lot of pride in that, and everybody else, like, respects her for that, except for the people that yeah. suck. But, you know, like, that's what Rick is like, yeah, here, I stole these tools for you because I'm a chaotic good boyfriend, like, and I want you to be happy, like, with your smarts and everything. And she is so happy about it. Yeah, and it's, it's a really cool scene because she takes pride in the fact that she's not physical. And she doesn't need to be either in this film yeah. to be of value. No. She identifies Jonathan as being physical, which I think is overselling it a bit. Like he's not not quite adventure material. He's much more the the road. <laughs> not quite. Yeah. <laughs> not quite. Yeah. She uh, she makes a move to kiss Rick, uh, and before she can get there, Darkenly passes out on him. Um, <laughs> he does. It's... Both of them are, are excellent in this scene, and so you know they. They uh, go back in the next day, and our our group, Evie, uh, they discover the the actual sarcophagus of Imhotep, while uh, our our American buddies discover the box with the Book of the Dead and all of the sacred jars with his organs in them, and they just start dividing them up so that they can take them home and sell them off. I, I don't know how. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very very problematic American moment, but it is treated as such. 
Uh, they clearly do not believe in the two to three curses that they have to read to get to that. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, Evie discovers that the puzzle box is actually the key to the sarcophagus, uh, and it will turn out is also the key to open the Book of the Dead, which the the other Egyptologists cannot manage to open. That ends with them you know, being back above ground, and the uh, other Egyptologist passes out with the book, and she steals it out of curiosity and unlocks it with the puzzle box and then immediately starts reading aloud from it, which is maybe not her maybe yeah. not her, her crowning achievement. Like, what are you supposed to do? Find a book of necromancy and not immediately start using it? <laughs> yeah, at least read it to yourself first, right? Like Look, who hasn't been look, who hasn't been there? You get a little drunk, you find a little magic book, you do a little reading. <laughs> <laughs> You call, we call it Poland and Ash William, and Ash from the Evil Dead. It's fine. We've all been there. <laughs> yeah, and, and things immediately go bad um, because every, everything is swarmed by locusts uh, who uh, chase them back into the tomb. Um, there's a lot of foreboding noise and wind and everything. And uh, this is the first of the... Uh, there's going to be a series of curses here which um, are also the curses from the Old Traditionally Testament. Traditionally called the plagues, yes. <laughs> yeah, the, the plagues from the Old Testament that, uh, well, they that say Moses it... and uh, the Judeo-Christian God inflict upon Egypt, which it seems weird that Egyptians would then be like, hmm, this should be our series of plagues as well. Like, Yeah, I feel like they were like, you know what? That was a good idea. It did convince us to do some pretty big things. So, now, you know. I've been to a lot of Passover seders in my day. <laughs> I don't recall the plague of meteors. Well, there is a, there is a Wait, raining fire or something. Yeah. Right? That's... Yeah, isn't there? Yeah, like... Yeah, I, I assumed it was raining fire. There are little, it was like, also in the Prince of Egypt, fire. and Prince of Egypt is basically fact, so I think it is in there. <laughs> <laughs> I did like, let's say, ah, darkness, the worst plague. I'm like, mm, pretty sure there was one after that. <laughs> we have the, they do yeah, I guess you're not getting a part of this whole situation. Yeah, I'm like, okay, okay, the mummy, I guess we're just not killing a bunch of babies. Well, you know, they Be defeated him before he got to that. Yeah. I guess we're just not going full Revenge of the Sith on this one. I also love that he, like, there's, there's the locust, and then there's the scenes right here inside of the tomb. But then once he gets back to plagues from there, he is just like rapid fire on this plague thing. Yeah. It's like they their drinks turn to blood and then they go outside and there's fire falling from the sky and then the uh, the sun is covered. I was like, all right, wow, you're just going just you're burning like, through them. You're like, He's God, an overachiever. He definitely <laughs> is aiming for like an A plus on the like return from the dead to... scale. <laughs> just trying to impress Evie. Like, look what I can do. I feel like someone. I feel like they started this movie. And it's like no, see, it's like over the course of the movie, it's going to be plague after plague, and then they saw just like at what point they got to the plague starting and how much runtime they're like, and it's like, uh, and then all the plagues happen. Fuck it, we got a <laughs> we got a lot more movie. We got a lot more movie to get through than I thought we did. I was always wondering when I watched that last night, like what the like non main characters' thoughts on that was. Like stuff starts falling from the sky, the sun's all blocked out, and. Nobody's like, huh, 
that's funky. Like, <laughs> like, what? Well, like those soldiers are like regular civilians. Like nobody's like, it's yeah. really, this really, mm. didn't we read a book about this? Once? Yes. <laughs> those people that were controlled by Emotep, what happens to them after Emotep dies? Like, do they all just be like, wow, so that was a weird Thursday. <laughs> Yeah, or is it like the mind wipe? Doesn't and run like, over in his, in his jeep. <laughs> there's, yeah. so many, there's so many movies where like somebody is mind controlled, and so the main character is like, "We can't hurt them. They're really good people." Rick, on the other hand, is like, "Let's hit the gas on this jeep yeah. and run move over out of my way. these dudes who will not move." Does not yeah. feel out of character, though. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, they've, we've just gotten as far as the locusts here. They're, they swarm through. Uh, everybody runs into the, uh, into the tomb. Poor Burns loses his glasses and gets left behind. Uh, apparently has just really garbage eyesight. Um, mm-hmm. So he's just like cartoonishly bad. Um, yeah, they, very Scooby-Doo. Yeah, they leave him there with his smashed glasses, at which point the, uh, the mummy sneaks up on him. Um, and Evie falls through a, a trapdoor to end up back up in this room as the mummy is is killing him, um, and finds him missing his his eyes and his tongue, oh, which yeah. uh, Imhotep has taken for his own head, um, which apparently I don't know. I guess he took those and then decided to go put them in, and then came back to absorb Burns' life force. I appreciated his sense of theatric of Emotep's sense of theatricality because that scene was creepy AF. Emotep has an incredible yeah. sense of theatricality. Where did he get that mask later on? He only wears it for one scene and it's great. Yeah, it's with the flowing robe and like everything. Like it's, it's very good. Like but Jeremy Laura- Colum earlier, a drama kid, like does the opinion yeah. of like a drama I mean not yeah. He probably just like had it in the back somewhere. It was like Benny, yo, wait before we bounce out. Like I gotta get my like my clothes. Yeah, like, I, I had to get my really revenge dope, clothes. Like, my my revenge clothes and stuff. I got this dope mask and like it's been sitting there for a really long time in between me clawing at my my grave and stuff. So we yeah. real quick, real quick. Yeah, at, at which point this is also the scene where uh, he sees the first woman he sees as he's had his eyeballs back and is like, is that my girlfriend? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and. Uh, you know, is is ready to make out with Evie, um, despite still being a juicy <laughs> yeah. mummy, um, which Rick uh, stumbles into and, and aids in the escape. Um, I, did, all... I do appreciate Emotep being that uh, the butterfly meme of liter- <laughs> literally any woman. Is this a, no- a Naksunamon? <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh. Is, has someone made a version of that? Because... That needs to happen. I need that right now. Uh, Super ironic is like in the second one, like Anoxima Moon is reincarnated. So it's like, if, bro, if you had just like waited like a couple years or like put an ad in the newspaper, you would have found her. Like, yeah, just, yeah, seriously. Like, it would have been so much easier. Just, you know. I saw my favorite Venezuelan Egyptian princess. That's one of my favorite parts about Mummy Returns is how in like the first half an hour, the entire thing you were trying to stop in the first movie just happens and it's okay, kind of. <laughs> mm-hmm. So quickly. Very 2020 feel, right? Yeah, so they everybody gets out except uh, Benny, the worst human being, who <laughs> yeah. meets the mummy and is like, ah, yeah, I, I speak ancient Egyptian and several other languages, 
Yeah, maybe, he's really hedging his bets. Like maybe that's I like could get a job. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh... he's a real entrepreneur, Benny. Yeah, he's he's got you know he gets some gold and some uh, in his life, and he's just willing to turn on the entire human race. <laughs> um, yeah, and then in this part, I feel like Rick Rick is like firmly to me in the hunk category because he isn't dumb. He's pretty smart. Like he knows what he's doing. I mean, he was military well, commander. Forget somewhat convinces Emotep to like let Benny work for him <laughs> is when he starts saying Hebrew. Oh yeah. Emotep goes ah yes, the language of the slaves. Oh, God. Which like doesn't doesn't fit at all even nope. like if you try to do nope. this timeline wise it nope. does not fit out like it's just not so even fun. a little bit yeah a, a line that when i was 10 years old made me go don't know how to feel about this and i don't know how to feel about it at 30 years old either yeah it's just like huh although i yeah. do appreciate the like the levels of benny's horribleness that uh he has Pendants from every religion hanging around his neck. Yeah, so he's he like, if I die anybody. and like go wherever I go next, like I want to make sure I get in. Like he is really, really like working for it. That's to such not a, get cursed. It's such a great <laughs> character moment, and it fits yeah. his sleaziness so well. Like even in yeah. terms of God, I'm gonna just hedge my bets. Mm-hmm. Also yeah. played like like it plays out really well because he pulls out that first like pendant. And he's going through the lines and stuff, and it's not working. And then he pulls out like the string of pendants, and it's such yeah. a it's such a great little beat right there. Yeah, just from one to twenty. Yeah, well, let's try this one. Nope, that one didn't work well. No, got a lot more of these. Um, yeah, it's it's great, almost as great as actually. I love the next scene, which is uh, Rick deciding that they need to get the fuck out of there, and. Uh, Evie being like, no, we got to set this right. And they're like, Rick is packing the bag while Evie oh, is yes. it. And it's just such a like good comedic beat. It feels we almost, like it we skipped over life. Rick's best line in the movie, which is when he just yells right in Emotep's face. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Like before shooting him. Yeah. Like, what, a, what an energy. Like, ah, mommy, I'm going to yell at it right back. Yep. <laughs> Which then shoots it and then thinks that yeah. that's what is gonna he's like when the Magi show up he's just like no I shot it this like mummy that I just shot it that should be enough to kill it right guys like I'm like oh Rick oh, I'm Rick. claiming Rick as like airy solidarity like <laughs> <laughs> that that whole bit is good Rick is still very ready to go despite thinking he has killed the mummy he's he's done with this place He's had enough. Mm-hmm. That, that, that immediately is followed by the scene of uh, him going to drink at the bar and all of them uh, doing a, a great comedic drink and spit where their, oh, yeah. all of their alcohol turns to blood. They go outside and all the water in the fountains is turned to blood and then it starts raining fire. Uh, this is where I wrote, is this sacrilege? Um, <laughs> I was like, I'm pretty sure that's not, I'm pretty sure those, those plagues had nothing to do with a mummy in the, the original text from which they are taking them. <laughs> the, the mummy shows back up to attack them and is then uh, frightened off by a yeah. cat. Yeah, I gotta say, like, again, I'm not sure if the hail is normally fiery or if it's just like a plague of normal hail, but I know for sure there's no, like, mummy curses in the Passover story. 
<laughs> yeah, they skip the mummy part of the Passover story. And, but yes, the, the cat is very, uh, the mummy is very scared of cats because uh, cats are symbols of the afterlife. And I guess he's afraid they're going to drag him back. Um, that was a great cat, too. That was a well-taken-care-of, super fluffy, well-groomed cat. Like, the, and the artist. The men, the, who have, <laughs> the men who have then been marked for death by mummy curse then do not do what you would expect them to do, which is keep a cat near them at all times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this, this should be very high rates of cat adoption at that point. Like, you'd think, like, oh, that's important information. We should strategically use cats to, like, protect these people who's, like, yeah. if we let them die, the world is over. Nope. Instead, the Egyptologist decides to uh, take around his, his bottle of organs that he has stolen from, uh, from Imhotep and go walking in dark alleys by himself. Yep. <laughs> just a very, very horror movie. Look, Jeremy, you're telling me you've never just gone for a casual stroll with your organ collection? <laughs> <laughs> You know, uh, not not when there was a mummy after me. I try to keep those things separate. Yeah. Uh, well, this is this reintroduces Evie's boss, uh, Professor Terence Bay, who I guess I don't know if he's supposed to be related to Ardeth Bay, who shows back up at this point, and they're like, "Guess what, guys? We have some mythology to fill you in on. Here's the deal: you've resurrected a mummy. Uh, it's gonna kill all of the Americans, uh, so we have to keep them alive. That doesn't go great." Even while they're having this conversation, as I mentioned, the Egyptologist has wandered off to go, uh, I don't know what he's supposed to be doing. He's wandering around with his jar of organs and uh, gets uh, gets mummy eaten. So I'm looking on Wikipedia about the uh, Ardeth Bay, Terence Bay, or Dr. <clears throat> Bay. And for some weird reason, even though they're pronounced the same, they are credited uh, Oded Fair's character is B-A-Y and Eric Avari is Dr. Bay is B-E-Y. So yeah. I guess they're from the same l- group of mummy of Pharaoh bodyguard descendants with the same pronounced last name, but spelled differently because why not? Meanwhile, the mummy again comes back to bother them, shows up to attack forget which one of the American guys this is. I think this is Handsome The one that wanted all the bourbon. That's how I remember him. Yes. Yeah. Give me some bourbon and a shot of bourbon and a bourbon chaser. Like, dude, okay. I mean, understandable at this point in his life where he's being being pursued by mummy. Um, (laughs) I think it's Henderson, the big square jawed cowboy, who then gets uh, picked up by by the mummy and drained while nobody else is around. Uh, the mummy then decides he's heard that forcibly kissing uh, Evie is a fun thing to do. Uh, yeah. So he's going to do that too. In his and gross, gross half mummy yes. form. Where he eats that beetle after he like, that okay. is a very good like effect <laughs> that grosses me out every time. The beetle that climbs up his cheek and then into his cheek and then he... <laughs> crunches down on them like huh every time like it it makes it so believable that he is half a mummy currently yeah the way they did his slow transformation was really smart and like yeah i like how they since they didn't have the technology to really show how he would suck the life out of these characters it leaves more to the imagination so you Mm -hmm. just get like those shadowy like types effects and i think that worked better because the fact that you couldn't see it like only the the aftermath of it added to like the weight of it. So I really like when the sand comes through and it's him and he sucks the life out of, you know, Mr. Bourbon. Um, 
And then he goes into Evie's room. I'm going to need people to keep their mouths off of Evie unless she says otherwise. <laughs> yeah. Um, but when he does kiss her and like his mouth like starts to disintegrate and become more mummy like, that's still such a well done effect even now. Like that's aged super well. And yeah. so gross. So gross. Oh, and gross. it has like that sh- sound to it too when uh-huh. he's doing it. And it's like, oh, bro, why are you still juicy? <laughs> <laughs> I saw it like the moment when like the bug crawls into his mouth through the hole in his cheek and then like he chomps on it. Yeah. I'm like, ah, that's so gross. Weird. I, I do love the moment here too where, uh, where Rick, Rick returns to save Evie by literally throwing the cat at him. <laughs> Yeah, just straight up passes. Like, Here you go. Like, Look what I got, which is a, a good bit because he then the mummy then runs away again. They're like, "Look, we absolutely got to save this one American guy that we have left because as soon as he kills this guy, mm-hmm. he's back it's in full over. full form, and then it's gonna be gonna be real bad." So they throw him, and so they look outside and discover that Imhotep has covered all these people in the area in boils and is now mentally controlling them. So they're all chanting Imhotep while running towards where they're staying to to come get them. This is where I talked about where Rick jumps in the Jeep with everybody and then just starts driving through this crowd of people. He just Yeah, not, just mowing people over. That they are mentally controlled. He's just going to run them over and keep going. In a solid steel car, too, because that's like old school. <laughs> and of course, they, they managed to pull Daniels off the truck, the last American gets the juices sucked out of him and the mummy is fully restored we discovered that this plan really sucked and they were bad at it yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like this whole this, this whole thing that could be the entirety of the movie really gets wrapped up in like 15 minutes yeah, all of the americans <laughs> go quick they are yeah. super bad at protecting these people they need to protect to save the world i mean in fairness americans are pretty bad at being protected yeah we don't make yeah. it easy like hey we don't definitely do don't is, follow rules Simple all you have rules, to do like, is stay, stay in yeah all you have to do is stay in this one room and be around a cat and you'll be fine well screw you screw the cat i'm gonna get all the bourbon yep i'm not gonna let no cat tell me what to do <laughs> so they they get worked into a corner um and evie decides that uh she is going to turn herself over to imitep because imitep wants her now as a sacrifice to revive Anox and Amun. Uh, and rather than continue fighting and getting everybody killed, she decides, I'm going to turn myself over to him. You guys come save me. You will still be alive to come save me this way. Uh, so it's, you know, she, she turns herself over. We're down to uh, the two differently spelled bays <laughs> and, um, and Jonathan and Rick. Dr. Bay decides that he's going to go down fighting here and, you know, covers yeah, just- the retreat. Pulls a sword out of nowhere. Yeah. And just Why did he out. keep that? He was just like, yep. He has his doctorate in sword fighting. Yeah, right. Uh, Legit. Yeah, and they, they run off to go find Winston, the briefly introduced uh, drunk RAF fighter who has been, who's like the last British guy left here after the war. <laughs> and they're like, hey, we need a plane. He's like, ah, sorry, I can't do that for you. You have to have the authorization of the RAF. He's like, uh, well, it's going to be a suicide mission where we all definitely can't survive and we're fighting powers that are it's much like, too yes. And he's like, sign me up. Let's do it. And then they just strap him to the wings. It's so wild. <laughs> yeah. They strap Jonathan and, and Ardeth Bay to the wings. Rick and Winston ride around. Rick is playing tail gunner, uh, which is, this is where my, my favorite bit of Imitet being a drama kid shows up. <laughs> 
Imhotep magically makes a wall of sand to attack them and puts his face on it. Yep. And then the the wall is making faces and like making movements like it's trying to eat them. And in my favorite detail, <laughs> it cuts back to Imhotep who is making these faces and like moving his head around to try and, and get the wall to, to do this. Like, surely this is not necessary in this particular spell. Really? But he's just really like awesome. making, he's like Evie's standing around behind him and he's just like, ah, 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 ah trying to get the plane. <laughs> he's just full on making faces and arm movements. Despite the fact the wall doesn't have arms, he is very it's great. Fit. And yeah. I want to be like, just imagine what the director was being like. No, no, you got to just pretend um, you are the giant sand face. <laughs> yep. Oh, oh, it's so good. And even Buddy's like, I, I love this wall of sand. Yes. Okay. <laughs> like, just like, yep, yeah, I guess that was cool. And then know. our drunken World War One pilot, who's most of his lines were like, boy, I sure do hope I die doing something like grandiose and heroic dies yep yeah. just like hey you wanted so good for him desert. and then it's it's like they didn't want you to think that winston was going to come back because then for no reason it turns out that the plane has crashed into the only patch of quicksand we will see in this movie yeah <laughs> it just sucks it down into the ground it's like oh well so much for yeah you. it's like oh wait very complication because he was already dead yeah they they wanted to make sure they can use that plane to get out yeah they they follow Imhotep down into the the pyramid. Uh, Rick has really gotten that, uh, Poe's ship disappeared into. Rick has really gotten the uh, the hang of this Sierra game as he decides to shoot a mirror to get it to spin around. And that was fantastic. <laughs> that was, <laughs> seems that unnecessary. Was unre- that was so nonsense, and I yep. loved it. Like, bing, and, like he just shoots a mirror and then it just rotates into the one precise degree that it needs to be to properly illuminate the room. Yeah, that's like, great. Fuck yeah. Yeah, Rick has protagonist gun abilities too. Like <laughs> in every scene that there is a gunfight in this, like there are like eight guys shooting at him, stormtrooper style, not hitting anything. And he's standing in one place going, boom, boom. Boom, one shot, one kill every time. There's a lot of Rick dual wielding in this movie, and I am a big fan of protagonist dual wielding. Oh yeah, same here. It's great. There's a lot of him just just you know, Dante from Devil May Cry style running around shooting both guns as he as he goes. <laughs> yeah, this is they they get down into the temple and they start fighting. They run into the uh mummified priests of Imhotep. Uh, which pop out of the ground. These are practical effects and sometimes slightly goofy. Um, they're trying to get to the statue of Horus to find uh, the Book of Life. Uh, the the three guys that are left are you know running around through here being chased by mummies. Um, and at one point, Ardeth Bay decides <laughs> that he's just gonna like rush a bunch of mummies. And they're definitely real guys because the the movement of him just like running into a bunch of like waddling mummy costumed guys is is really goofy. <laughs> <laughs> but he's like, all right, I'm gonna sacrifice myself by just running into these dudes, never yep. to be seen until he is later. <laughs> seen. Yeah. Because he just pieces out after that. Like he's just like, okay, cool, I did that. They'll be fine. And- I'm gonna go hang out outside. <laughs> 
and it didn't really feel like one of those like oh he's going to heroically sacrifice himself himself but oh he survived at the end it's like no he just kind of is like i'm okay i'm gonna do something else and i'll see you guys later yeah <laughs> i wonder if the original script he died and then the director was like i can't kill a man this beautiful like, yeah it's right just not fair to the world and i agree yeah i do enjoy the period <laughs> of the movie where it's like like him, Jonathan, and Rick, and they got like a bit of like three musketeers like advent like adventure yeah. going on. Yeah, I like it in in one of that one of those parts where they're all shooting, and then like Jonathan runs out of bullets and just throws one he of the pistols. The gun, bro! It's <laughs> so funny. The mummy. It's so I, good. I wanted him to call that out. I wanted Rick to be like. No, that's my gun. <laughs> like I have re- like I have, I have bullets. bullets. I was There's gonna a, refills. There was a sound <laughs> moment that, that I picked up on earlier in the movie that I'd never noticed before and I liked a lot. And it's when it's that brief moment when our main group and the American group are having Yeah, like, I face worse thoughts. So like they're having I? like they're kind of pointing all their guns at each other. And so mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, Jonathan's hands are like shaking a lot and Rick's hands are like with the guns are completely steady. And mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, that's some those are some nice little character beats. Yep. <laughs> John Hanna really like plays plays Jonathan great. Oh yeah. It's so good. I feel like it would have been easy for that character to have been like not very likable and instead I kind of I love him throughout. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's a real he's a real scamp that one. Um, yeah. But he he doesn't do what Benny de- then does here, which is once this whole thing starts, Benny's like, "You know what? I saw a treasure room back there." Now, it seems like my master mummy guy here is pretty distracted. So when you guys fight, I'm going to go grab some treasure and peace out of here. Um, I think that's the difference between like Jonathan and Benny is that I, I feel like Jonathan likes to like act like a Benny, but at the end of the day, he stays loyal to his family and never does anything truly cowardly. Yeah. I, I think having Benny there actually makes Jonathan seem better. Yeah, even like yeah. Oh, more yeah. likable than he already is. I mean, credit to the actor in the movie. It is so satisfying hating Benny. Yeah. He, I was going through his, his filmography, and uh, his name is Kevin J. O'Connor. Um, and he plays a lot of very hateable characters. He was, in, <laughs> he was in something I watched recently where I was like, oh, yeah, that guy. I was like, the Catch-22 series. He plays one of the, uh, the commanding officers in the Catch-22 uh, TV show that's on Hulu. And he's, he's hey, like, really awful in that, too. Character <laughs> actors, everybody needs a punchable face. <laughs> so, yeah, Benny runs away. Uh, Arneth Bagan decides to go wrestle some mummies. Um, Rick and Jonathan uh, find the book. Anaxana Moon is, uh, her soul is summoned back into her dead body. But they don't get as far as actually uh, actually killing the sacrifice to, to make her back into a, a normal person. But because Jonathan decides to read half of the inscription on the front of the, the book of life because he cannot read the rest of it, at which point the, he summons mummy soldiers that he then can't control and try yeah. to kill him. Also, and, I'm pretty sure us being able to read ancient Egyptian out loud, I don't think that's a thing we can do. I don't know. Like, I don't think we actually know how hieroglyphs are pronounced. <laughs> well, both, both he and... Uh, I might be wrong. I honestly don't know where, do what it. the state of sure. I honestly don't know what the state of ancient Egyptian linguistics is. Yeah, I'm, I'm, not, not, a, yeah, I'm I don't actually know. not sure about that. 
Yeah, it's just like, uh, it's one of those things like we don't actually know what Romans sound like, but we put them in all sorts of movies and they have British accents British most accents. of the time. Well, at least we know what like Latin was. Like we can say Latin out loud. So he's, <laughs> now Now Rick has to fight the mummy soldiers in addition to this. And he is running around trying to avoid the revived Anox in the moon. who is trying to kill Jonathan while he tries to figure out the rest of this. Meanwhile, Evie is able to help him decode what the front of the book says while being strapped to a table preparing to be killed um yeah he's that good at which point he is able to get control of the uh the mummy priests or i guess mummy warriors uh they they re-kill anox in the moon she has been alive for all of five minutes and she is dead again oh yeah they they free evie evie manages to to read the spell to make imitep uh human again and rick stabs him and he sinks into a weird black pool full of faces. I don't know yeah. what that is, but it's more weird magic. He um, disappears into the land of 90 CGI. Yeah, which is totally unnecessary in this case. Benny, Benny decides to uh, cause the, the collapse of the final level after, beating the, after they beat the boss. And there's a race <laughs> to escape the castle. Oh, man. Um, it's a very, very video game end of this movie. Yeah. Where they're like trying to get out of here. Um, of course, Rick and Evie make it. Uh, Benny does not. Benny is uh, horrifyingly trapped in the in the place uh, while the scarabs come to eat him. The scarabs um, are definitely the scariest part of the whole movie. Oh, for sure. Yeah, the mummy is so mummy's nothing compared to the the army of scarabs. That was such a good scene too, because you see all the scarabs kind of closing in, and it kind of builds this this intense sense of doom. Like, you know what's going to happen. Yeah. But they never actually show you, which just, again, adds, like, the less that you see, the more it kind of adds to, like, the horror of it all. Because you, you do know what's happening. Because they've established that the scarabs, like, you know, eat people. But they've only shown you in, like, bits and pieces. Like, you know, one scarab gets into, like, someone's head. Another scarab gets into Jonathan's arm. But this is, like, a horde. So you can just, you know, as soon as that light goes out, like, that fire goes out, he's done. Well, I and, yeah, no, and it's just, I just, I really liked that scene. Like, the way it all builds up and, like, the the way that they had, like, displayed the scarabs and stuff throughout the movie. Except for that one guy who, like, trips and falls, the, the red shirt yeah, guy. Yeah, and they um, run over him. <laughs> yeah, and they just, they just mow him down. So, which also works, because then you, you do know for sure, like, what's going to happen to yeah. Benny once that fire goes out. And then once it does, like... You know, the screams and just, you, you hear all their, their creepy little legs. Oh, yeah. Oh, the legs. I do appreciate that, that Rick is the only one that's actually managed to, like, kill one of these things. Because it's crawling through Jonathan and he's like, let me just whip out this and knife. Just and just shoots it. Like, yeah. <laughs> just, such a, just shoots it. It's so wild. Like, oh Now, I'm disappointed that we don't have the scene in Mummy Returns where it's like, ah, there's a spider in, like, the bathroom and Rick just shoots the sink. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's, Rick just starts up a pest control business at some point. He just uses no. his six shooter. Uh, I do <laughs> it like takes I forever. Do, I do like how this how long the scarabs take to eat people depends entirely on the plot because apparently mm-hmm. they either take years to eat you or literally just seconds. Yeah, and I assume the ones that were buried with Imhotep are like trained scarabs, right? They just yeah, so when you're like, years to wait, eat it's like it's like wait, wait, okay, now eat. So yeah, when they as they escape, they find Ardith Bay uh, hanging out outside. The wind is blowing in his hair. Of course, he gives them a like, ah, you you ruined you ruined my life. But you know, I guess uh, I guess you did all right. <laughs> uh, 
and Rick and Evie uh, mount what turns out to be Benny's camel because there is a, a sack of gold that he has attached to it already uh, before he went back in to get more gold. And uh, they managed to finally get a consensual kiss in between the two of them, which is a real achievement for kissing in this movie. Yeah. Ugh, it's so good. Um, Just and, right uh, off into the sunset. It's a pretty classical movie ending, and I am all about it. Yep. Yeah. They they CGI a little sparkle under the gold in the backpack, which I feel like was unnecessary, but oh, yeah. it's fine. <laughs> like, yes, this is very shiny. It's like, oh, it's gold. No, I was confused, but then once it sparkled, I'm like, oh, it's gold. I get it now. <laughs> yep. Thank you, movie. I do appreciate that Benny literally died because one bag of gold was not enough for him. <laughs> like He finally he got his comeuppance. Well, I did love the running gag of people routinely telling Benny, like, you're going to get yours one day. And mm-hmm. he's like, wait, really? Uh-uh, I, didn't, yeah. I, never, I didn't account for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I really appreciate that when Evie's like, little Weasley guys like you, they always get what's coming to him in the end. And he's like, uh-huh. oh, yeah, really? <laughs> yeah. So good. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's a wrap on The Mummy. Uh, what was uh how, how do we feel about the mummy after having watched it all these all these years after its original release it it's a to me it, it more than anything else it's just a super fun like swashbuckling adventure that kind of has a it feels like the kind of movie that they don't really make anymore like are you saying they don't make them like this anymore they don't they don't make them like this anymore <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's very much a solid just like a solid fun movie that like doesn't doesn't it just has such good characters like really good characters that don't like say like horrible nonsense and you're just like oh like it has a couple of those moments but like the heroes in it are just so good and so solid and like I think it's not not something we saw back then and not something we see now very much I feel like every character, like, no character is wasted. Like, even the smallest yeah. roles are given so much personality. It's it's really solid in that respect. I mean, there are some characters that are, are sort of troubling character, caricatures in some way. But for the most part, I think it's done really well, especially for, like, even modern stuff that plays around with this ancient Egyptian magical stuff is you is pretty bad. Like, yeah, it's pretty bad. Um, and I, I think this I like, mostly sidesteps it. I like that this is a mummy movie that takes place entirely in Egypt. Oh, yeah. Which is more than I can say for the 2017. Mm-hmm. That, hey, let's have a mummy movie take place entirely in the forests of England. Yes. I didn't know England had forests, to be honest, until I saw that movie. So weird. Um, yeah, I, for me, like, the mummy is very much like a product of its time. So it's very 1999. Like, from, like, the casting to the exotification of, like, Egypt and Egyptian mythology and, like, just the the history and culture. But it's kind of, like, one of those, like, problematic faves, you know? It's just, mm-hmm. it's got such a great cast. The cast has really great chemistry with each other. Like, you even almost kind of root for him. Well, maybe not root, but you sympathize with him because yeah. of that little opening prologue where it's like, oh, true love. And I love that line that, like a Noxima Moon had where she's like, my body is no longer his temple. And that's why she yeah. tells herself like, and there was something that really resonated with me as a, as a kid when I watched that. 
um, like she was like, no, I am me. And yeah. So, and I choose you. Yeah, exactly. And so she's like, if I can't be with him then I don't want to be with anybody and I'd rather, (laughs) I'd rather die. So it kind of gave a certain weight to like Imhotep's motivations where he wanted to bring her back because he loved her. Um, and like, they just couldn't be together because of, you know, things like the monarchy. Um, Mm -hmm. and like, didn't justify what he did, but it gave him a certain motivation where you were like, you know what? Yeah. I'd burn down the world for her too. Like that body paint. Like, yeah, I get you. I get you. Yeah. And that's really what it is. Right. Like he's not a bad guy because he wants to take over the world. And like, you know, he's a bad guy because he fell in love with the wrong person. Yeah. Yeah, And it's, it's so great. Cause like the things that happen around him, like if they had just killed him, it would have been cool. Like nothing would have happened afterwards, but they had to give him the big bad curse because murder ain't good enough. And then he came back and then, you know, stuff went like completely bonkers. And he was like, look, I'm not here to take over the world. That's just happenstance. I'm here to resurrect my girlfriend. And, you know, somebody's got to die. Like, you know, someone, you know, it is what it is. Um, And Rick Rick and Evie were like, yeah, we don't, we don't vote for you. Like. (laughs) It was a very human, for such like a crazy monster, it was very human motivation he had throughout. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that really grounds the movie like the way that they gave each character like a motivation or like a like real personality like they feel like lived in characters like yeah. and characters that you would want to like hang out with like you guys had said earlier you know Jonathan could have been really unlikable um and I feel like we've seen Jonathan type characters in other films where he is really unlikable like going back to like the Tom Cruise mummy film, you had that guy, I don't, Nick from New Girl. Um, yeah, he's in that movie. And he's just so boring. And mm-hmm. like the character is so superfluous. Like you just really don't need him. And anything from Again, like, it's such a forgettable movie. We were talking movie. about the, like the mummy's motivations. And here it's like, it's uh, Emotep trying to bring back his true love versus the 2017 mummy movie where she's trying to summon like a demon god to gain ultimate darkness power yeah like yeah with like a super gem in like the magical dagger thing or whatever and it's like with her strategically placed rotting bandages where she's just (laughs) still hot enough like like she's dead but she's still kind of hot meanwhile emotep just fucking rocked like what it's act three final battle time bring me my finest velvet (laughs) loincloth yeah like a boss yeah he's just he's like this is what you get (laughs) like it's great he doesn't care and i did think about like i do want to give mummy returns another rewatch because coming from here i'm like oh wow there is such it's such a natural place to go with to use an like a sequel to make Emotep and Anaxu Namun like a foil as a couple to Evie and Rick. Yeah. And that ended up working so well. Like really Yeah. Like you feel again you, like because you have that connection with like their characters too at the end spoilers. Uh in the mummy too when rick and imhotep are essentially hanging off into like i don't know a hell dimension or something yeah um and there's evie and an moon and rick is the one telling Evie like no go like leave me behind don't you, you literally just died like 10 minutes ago uh <laughs> don't do it again um 
And she's like, no, she goes after him. And then it's paralleled with Imhotep and Anaxa and Luna, and she bounces. And he just yeah. looks at them. He's and so he's, heartbroken. He I really is. felt for him. So, yeah, yeah, and you, you like, feel for him. like, yeah, And you feel like, for, like, they're kind of, like, doomed love. Like, it just, it really wasn't meant to be. Like, they just, they couldn't figure out how to be good people. Um, but it was such a great book. And the actor played it off really well, too. Like, he actually had tears in his eyes and stuff. Yeah. And he just lets go. And it's like, it's like reverse Jack and Rose. Like, he yep. did let go. Um, so, but yeah, no, Rick and Evie and the cast and just, like, the action of the movie. It's a really well-paced movie. Like, like oh, yeah. The set piece, all the action set pieces are a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Like, old They school, move through like, them at a pretty good clip, too. Like, yeah, yeah, it's like they're pretty nicely that, paced. The, the chasing and killing of the Americans could have been in the entire movie. Yeah, but it's okay. just like a fifteen-minute chunk in the middle. Um, yeah, yeah just and blowing through. I, I feel like the 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 writer director here, it's the same guy, is, is knows that these characters are not that compelling. <laughs> like they're just yeah, they're they're born to die. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, they all, exist. that's the only reason they're there. You almost like I do had I I do had oh my God uh, I do have some sympathy for uh, like the first guy who got his eyes and mouth taken because then he ends up. <laughs> getting everything taken like later when he yeah. thinks he's safe and I'm like, oh, that sucks, bro. Like, yeah. but you also open the chest when you weren't supposed to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's like breaking out a Ouija board in like a yeah, high school lockdown do or something it. for like senior year. And you know, it's like, don't, don't do the thing. Why would you, what, why would you do the thing? Um, but yeah, all the like little secondary characters really work to like weave in everything. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's a solid movie. Like it knows what it wants to do. It knows what it wants to be. And it sets out to hit those marks and that goal. Yeah. Well, let's, let's get into our uh, progressive politics questions here. Uh, see what, see how we feel like this, this movie does on this stuff. Uh, I think the easiest, maybe the easiest question to answer here, the most interesting too probably is, is this movie feminist and, and how does it treat its female characters? For only having pretty much two female yeah. characters, I think it does do a good job of not, like like we said before, of not like just making them like a trope. Obviously, like the whole plot of like killing a woman to you know give motivation to a guy is used, which you know it does suck. But although she does kill herself, and you know he he's. He's trying to resurrect her. He's not on a path for revenge. But not being the like classic, yeah. But like not being this um this character that's like okay, I'm just gonna shoot off at the mouth and you know be very very like athletic and like not what a girl is supposed to be. Like she's not that. She's very much like feminine and smart and like it works to her advantage and that's so great to see. Yeah, it walks yeah. this really interesting line between the Indiana Jones female characters where they're all fairly useless. They're they're feminine, but they don't really do anything. They're just there to scream and have him save them, even if they are really, really zesty in the comments. Uh, yeah, Evie is crucial to the plot at every like stage, like the whole way. Like She's the one who kicks off the expedition to Hamanatra. She's the mm-hmm. one who accidentally brings back Emotep. She's the one who takes away like his immortality like and said, she's like, not she's, even like a damsel in distress because she doesn't get captured she gives herself up to save the rest of them 
Like even in that, it's like a hero moment. And you have her like she's like she talks a lot about, you know, this uh, I guess scholarly or archaeological society that keeps rejecting her. So mm-hmm. you even have like while she's the Bembridge scholars. Yeah, you even have her dealing with this kind of uh, institutional sexism, despite um, you know just all of her talents and skills and passions. Like the Anoxa Moon plotline. Yes, she is kind of like quote unquote fridged for Imhotep's like overall motivation. That's another part where it's like, it's very 1999, but I did like how at least she had agency in like choosing how she wanted to die and how she wanted to live essentially. It's it's small, but it's yeah. something where I'm like, you know, I did appreciate that little bit. Yeah. Um, with Evie, the film literally does not work without her. Nothing oh. in the film happens without her. But what I also like is that she's not a perfect character. She reads from the book and she brings back Imhotep. Like that's yeah. that's a fuck up. Like yeah. on the level of fuck ups, that's a pretty big fuck up. Yeah. Um, I like how the movie let her be like messy and fun. Like I like how that we got a scene of just her being like getting to just be drunk and silly. Yes. And the movie doesn't judge her for it. It's just like, yeah, you get to be silly and say a bunch of funny things now. Yeah, it helps humanize her because then she's not, like, quirky, clumsy. You know, she's yeah, not like the, yeah. oops, like, I'm so cute and clumsy, like, kind of stereotype for female characters. And she also doesn't fall into, like, the Indiana Jones prototype of being, like, spunky but useless either. Like, yeah. she gets to be this fully realized, like, human character. She doesn't fall into, like, this weird, like, Joss Whedon trap of being, like, you know, very... Strong female character. Yeah, very strong female character, very, like, emphasis on the masculine and, like, punished for, like, asserting herself or her sexuality or anything like that. She gets to be bookish, she gets to be clumsy, she gets to make a mistake and work to fix that mistake. Um, And she pushes along the plot. Like, she is just so integral to the plot. So even if she essentially gives herself up and she gets captured and such, and she is, like, the sacrifice, which would be the typical damsel in distress... Uh, scenario it's not a bad thing because it just helps humanize her like she is still human like she she can't fight a mummy by herself you know she can't punch him in the face though but she's still super important to defeating him in the end like without her they they can't win so for for evie evie's a really great protagonist character and i do think like the second movie almost like falters because they make more like Rick. They kind of retcon some things about Rick in the second mm-hmm. movie. And they're like, he has a tattoo on his wrist now. And I'm like, was that there in the first one? Did nobody notice? Was it always covered up? I didn't, I don't know. He, um, oh, he like, one thing I did notice this watch around for the first time is like, he has that like bracer on his right arm. And I'm like, I have to rewatch the second one. But is that where the tattoo was? Because in that case, like, did they think of that in advance? Maybe. What? Like, yeah. <laughs> I will say the mummy too takes things from the first one that like it could expand on. Like it, it takes like these little opportunities because the mummy in and of itself is a complete film. Like it's not one mm-hmm. of those films to go back to like what Ben said about how like they don't make them like this anymore. And it's always because they never like complete a film. Like I was yeah. watching Battle Angel Alita or Alita Battle Angel. I don't know. The, the title's really confusing. Yeah. Um, and that's not a complete film. Like, it doesn't complete the story it sets out, like, that it starts off with. Yeah. You know, it, it ends movie's... on essentially, like, you know, watch the next one if we get to make it. And that's very yeah. frustrating. <laughs> yeah, everything is a franchise. Yeah, that movie yeah. especially is very guilty of having lots of, like, I guess maybe this will be a thing if there's a sequel. 
But yeah, and it's it's very, very frustrating. So what works for me as far as like the Mummy 2 goes is it took little things like the fact that you never see this part of Rick's wrist and in the second one, they're like, oh, well, now he has a tattoo there. You just never saw it because it was covered up the entire time. And now they're like, you know, yeah, Evie has magical visions and that explains like her super connection <laughs> to, to Egypt or something like that, you know? And it takes little things. It even, I would even argue that like that, that fight between uh, zombie Anoxama Moon and Evie is played up and pulled back into like the second one because yeah. they have that rivalry in the second one. So it's a solid sequel for those reasons. Like it pulls things like those opportunities without sacrificing the plot of its first film. Like the first film is still very much its own thing. Like you can watch the first film, be completely satisfied. Yeah. Apparently like when they, when they made the movie, there was not a plan specifically to make a sequel. If the internet trivia about this can be believed, uh, <laughs> the Stephen Sommers got a call from, from Paramount the day after the movie came out saying that they needed another one. Um, oh, wow. That's yeah. great. Yeah, so it wasn't like a, we're definitely going to make eight of these movies. It was like a, oh, well, it did, did well. Let's do another one. So yeah, I think, I think yeah, on the question of, of feminism, it, it feels pretty feminist, especially for 1999, for the type of movie it is. I think it's kind of incredible that in, in the character of Evelyn Carnahan that you have a, a character at this time who is heroic while still being feminine because those two things seem to not mix in movies at this time. You know, mm -hmm. if, if you are a heroic woman, you have to be a strong woman. Um, yeah. Physically like, beat people with things. <laughs> and instead, she gets introduced in that kind of classic underdog hero scene of like she makes a mistake at work and then her mean boss like berates her like how many times have we seen that like with a male protagonist to establish that they're kind of plucky yet down on their luck and so like that's her introduction is like making a mistake and doing like having like adorable physical comedy that's really funny shows up her skills but also shows that she's like like again has a arc and it's like a whole place to go and I don't know, to me, it's just, I just like that the movie, right from her introduction to screen, like, this is the protagonist. She gets to be a nerd, which is cool. Like, she gets to be just an unashamed, like, nerd. She's like, she's, she was kind of like a, like a live action Belle in an action movie, you know, and they both get their hunks in the end, you know, so it all works out. Yeah, and they don't, they don't, she's all that her at any point in this movie. Yeah. Or go... You need to change who you are to be the hero of this movie or to get nope. your, she's, your punk. Um, she's just always gorgeous. She's she's gorgeous and nerdy throughout. Uh, so I guess the the others the flip side of this the other question that we uh, have to answer here that I think there's a lot to say about is the question of uh, people of color and race in this movie and how how this movie deals with characters of color. How, how do we feel? Uh, I mean, obviously it's almost 20 years on, uh, well, it's more than 20 years, 21 years on from the release of this movie. How do we feel like it did with race generally? Yeah, it definitely <laughs> plays into that every classic Egypt movie that yeah. is about white people, but yeah. surprisingly does a better job than other Egypt movies by having people of color, even if they are not Egyptian. So it's like, it's like it tried... It didn't completely succeed, but like I guess one star for effort. They get a you tried star. Yeah, like okay. Yeah, yeah. it's like C plus. 
Yeah, they get a like a like a Zuko meme, like not as terrible or racist as you could have been. Yeah. Um, from me, like product of its time, you know, like it's. I'd rather watch this than any Indiana Jones movie. Like some of the Indiana <laughs> Jones movies just flat out make me uncomfortable, and I, I don't like Indiana. Like he's just uh, like, look, you're not you're not that hot of a professor for me. It's, I'm sorry. I'm gonna choose Rick O'Connell every time. It belongs in a museum. The fuck it does. It belongs with its people. <laughs> uh, but um, I think what kind of helps this movie, like the casting is just, it's a problem. Um, but what, what does, I feel like, help this movie just narratively is it has characters of color on both sides of the spectrum. Like you have your yeah. bad guys, but you also have your good guys. It yeah. has the racist stereotypes, you know, but it also has like, characters of color that are like noble, that are heroes. So it helps add a little bit more balance where I don't feel just icky watching it. Yeah. Um, like I do with similar movies. Yeah, so that that helps. Like like Abed is, I mean, he's just, he's so, he is a, he's a good character. And I'm glad that he got to do more in like the sequel. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that he got to return for mm-hmm. the sequel too, was great. Yeah. Like, and with his his beautiful beautiful hair, so um, good, so good. <laughs> good hair. Like, yeah, they didn't so. just find some other guy to take his place and cross cast yeah. it instead of bringing him back. It's, it's appreciated. I I feel like it doesn't get as bad as Indiana Jones, where you know in in the opening sequence of Raiders of the Lost Ark, they have Alfred Molina in brown face playing a yeah. playing a you know Middle Eastern character for and just playing him bad like just bad it's just so bad yeah yeah that's the one thing oh my god i never realized i never realized that was alfred molina yeah yeah oh no yeah it doesn't like you know brown face anybody like they're all you know i mean the closest the closest we get is imitap who is you know a white south african guy playing Mm -hmm. egyptian which I don't know. It it is what it is. The Imhotep thing is weird to me because I know exactly enough about Egyptian history. Know that Imhotep is not a priest. Uh, that that's a real dude who was an architect, uh, who like was the architect of the pyramids, who like yeah. was so good at his job that like they buried him in a pyramid. Like they were like yeah, like, like I feel like for being such a good architect. Yeah. For some reason they made him. Uh, a priest who sleeps with Seti's wife or girl, whatever she is. Yeah. It's definitely like one of the writers, one of the screenwriters or the director had seen like Prince of Egypt and like read about, I don't know, like King Tut or something. And he was like, that sounds cool. And had most likely watched Indiana Jones movies since these films are clearly taking a lot of like homage and influence from those films mm-hmm. and wanting to do something similar without actually like doing like a ton of research. <laughs> Yeah. Like it's very much like white centric fantasy on yeah. the culture and the history, which I think is something that like should be pretty pretty acknowledged. Um, so as much as I enjoy both those first two films so much, it's still like one of those things. You know, it's like Hollywood being Hollywood. Both the bays, <laughs> differently spelled bays, are actually pretty great in the movie. Like they give they give Odin Fares artist they a lot of things to do. He's a good character. He's basically the only one other 
like she's I, the only one other than the main characters that has a good head on his shoulder. I love <laughs> when they're flying in the plane and Bay is like strapped to the wing and they cut like, how you doing? And he's just got this ear to ear grin on his yep. face. He is like a dog sticking his head out the window in a car. Like he's having <laughs> the time of his it. life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, then Terrence Bay, Eric Avari's character is, you know, is a professor. He is like he he's both smart and he goes down fighting in this movie yep both of which are, are good things anoxin moon is there's not much to talk about with her here she doesn't she barely has a speaking part other than to say like my body is no longer his temple and, and kill herself um and again it's a little weird the casting that they're like yeah brown right yeah brown. they're like close enough yeah Venezuelan, Egyptian. You know, and, someone yeah. at some point in the casting room definitely actually said the words close enough. Oh, yeah. 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 Either that or they're just like, yeah, she's hot. <laughs> Put like, her what? Yeah. I'm into that. What are they going to do? Wait 20 years and then make, give a shit on a, something called the podcast? I don't <laughs> think so. <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting, too, because like, we just had that mummy film with Tom Cruise, and yet this film from, God, 20 years ago? God, I'm so old. Yeah. 21. Um, 21 years ago. Jeez. Has more actual like people of color and characters of color like in its yeah. in its foundation than a film that came out what like five years four years ago. I'm not a math three years ago. I'm not in the math field. It's yeah. fine. That's fine. This, this yeah, film I, is old. But more recently, yeah. I'm still angry that they gave us a mummy film that had more stuff about the Knights Templar than it did Egyptian mythology. It's uh, like I fell asleep in the first 25 minutes of that movie. <laughs> I have no idea, and I have absolutely zero like interest in ever watching it again. The only so. part of it that I sincerely enjoyed was the split second Easter egg to this movie. There was. There was. There was one. So when Russell Crowe is doing his like, hi, let me tell you about the dark universe. Wait, Russell Crowe is definitely movie? going to happen. <laughs> Wait, he was yes. in that? Yeah. I yeah, haven't seen plays, the, the new mummies. He stuff. plays Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, who they said like, he's going to be the Nick Fury because we're mm. doing dark universe. I was afraid and he was going to start singing at me. That would have been actually terrifying. <laughs> so when he's like, check out all our East, check out all like our hallway of Easter eggs. And one of them, uh, and you can see like in the shot is like uh, the Book of the Dead uh, prop from this movie. Oh, oh okay. Wow. I almost feel wow. insulted. Don't even associate with it. Like, Jeez. But to go to that movie, like what the main characters were, like Dr. Lady MD, who was a white blonde <laughs> lady, Tom Cruise, the white guy Nick from um, New Girl, <laughs> yep. Russell Crowe, like they're so all, white. all the main cast is is white. Like, and yeah, the whole movie takes place in England. Yeah. Yeah. Like what? It's uh, really, it's really interesting that a film that came out 20 years ago at the very least had like at least one character of color that was important that like was got to be a hero, like got to be at the big climax scene and was like, you know, I'm not only am I going to help you fight the mummy and help you win, like I'm going to also survive and look hot doing it. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, and it's like, how did a movie 20 years past be able to do something like that and a movie that came out a few years ago not even be able to cross that bar? Like, and that Dr. Lady MD was so, not, like, insequential. Like, she did not matter. And, and absolutely nothing of a character. All, yeah. I can, all I can tell you about her whole person, her whole character is that she was blonde. I'd honestly forgotten she was even a doctor. 
<laughs> she might have not been. That might have been just a, a joke that I heard from like honest trailers. To be to be quite honest, I don't know. I know she knew stuff about Egypt. The best because part of that whole movie is the trailer they accidentally uploaded without any sound effects. Oh yes. Oh gosh. That was, that was so honestly good. more memorable than anything in the film. It's the only thing I remember about it. Like, but it's <laughs> it's interesting that in comparison to 1999's Mummy, you had a character like Evie who got to be a fully realized, like, human character compared to, like, the female lead of this Tom Cruise mummy where she's not. And that movie also uh, has two female characters in it, just like 1999 Mummy does with Evie and Anoxima Moon. And yet, like, neither of those characters from the 2017 Mummy matter. Like, even the mummy herself. Like, she's not interesting. She's, yeah. She has no, like, real motivation. There's nothing about her that's, like, really captivating or, like, something that, you know, you can feel attached to, even root for as, like, a villain, like, as, a, as an antagonist. Yeah. Forget being as memorable as Emotep. She's less interesting and less engaging than uh, Anaksu Namuna is in this movie, like, with yeah. her limited screen yeah, time. Yeah, I think... I think it's interesting as, as people who all work in, you know, creative fields and stuff, this feels like somebody who doesn't know, who doesn't understand the idea of, of wanting diversity and wanting representation and things to going, well, we're going to make the mummy a girl and then we're going to have another lady in it and she's going to be a doctor. So like representation and then, like, you know, just not. It's a very like shallow understanding where it's like, yeah. it's kind of like a, like Scarlett Johansson in like Ghost in the Shell. They were like, well, people like yeah. Scarlett Johansson because she's Black Widow and Lucy made a lot of money and, you know, women and female empowerment and stuff. And like, even, God, that movie is bad for a lot of reasons. Once like, I, something was going horribly wrong once it's like, it's Ghost in the Shell and all about individ, themes of individualism. It's a very American take on Ghost in the Shell. Um, <laughs> like extremely American. But I it- will- it shows kind of like this surface level understanding of what people mean when they say like representation matters. Like they treat it more as a hashtag than mm-hmm. as an ideology, like as a thing that like affects real people's lives, you know, and yeah. the importance of seeing, you know, yourself reflected in the media that you consume and the importance for other people to see, you know, marginalized communities humanized in, in the media that they consume. So yeah, like Dr. MD lady, if she just existed, you know, she's not, <laughs> She's, she's nothing. She's, she's smoke, you know, even the mummy as a female, like character, she's, she's not important. She literally is unimportant because they stuffed the film halfway through to introduce Nick, Nick Hyde Fury, you know, and like, that's how unimportant she is to the movie. And I, it, it's I, very I frustrating. Think it was uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick who came up with the sexy lamp test. Yeah. Which is if your mm. female char- if your woman character can be replaced by a sexy lamb and it's not a great character. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, and it's like Evie in 1999's Mummy can't be replaced by a sexy lamp because mm. the lamp can't talk. <laughs> like <laughs> the lamp can't save Rick, the lamp can't like start the journey to Hamanatra, the lamp can't, can't read, read the book. Yeah, the lamp can't sacrifice itself to save the rest of the crew. You know, the lamp can't read that final incantation to take away the immort- the bad guy's immortality. Like, and that makes her important. Like, that shows how, in- like, interwoven she is into like, the plot. Neither Evie nor Rick is anybody's prize. They are two individual, care- like, heroes in their own right. Yeah. Like, 
neither of them wins the other. A re- I don't know. They just feel like a real couple in that regard. Yeah. Yeah, a real, a real solid couple. I, I do think, now there is one place in, in the question of representation that I do think this movie does not do a great job. And that is with uh, Omid Jalili, Jalili's character, which is the warden Gad Hassan. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, oh, yeah. Worst. He is That's... a rough stereotype of an Arabic man. That is. Yeah. Yeah, no, that is a very. Yeah, like you said, that's a, that, a lot of just rough stereotypes. Yeah, like he, he talks in a way where like he's, he's rude to he's rude to the female characters. He is greedy and like his only real character starts to being greedy. And Jonathan repeatedly talks about how smelly he is. Yeah. Which is like, oh, that was a totally unnecessary bit in there of like a recurring thing about the, you know, one of your few characters of color being smelly. Um, yeah, I did not care for like, it, it It felt like a lot of very cheap and like, like mean-spirited humor around his yeah. character. It did. Like, I feel like they could have just left him at the the prison and like, it would have, it, it's one of those things where it's like, is bad representation still representation? And it is in a way, and it's just bad representation. Omitting that character from those really kind of grotesque like scenes at his expense is almost better than like than including him. You know, it's just yeah. to, to take those out. If, um, if he wasn't included, like nothing in the plot would have changed. Like if he just didn't go with them. Yeah, the only the only real important thing he has to do in this movie is pry bugs off the wall and then like get eaten from within yeah and, and one of the americans could have done that yeah yeah or you know jonathan does it later like yeah it actually happens to jonathan he just gets saved beforehand like before it goes too far yeah so that could have yeah. happened like when he the other guy the warden gets you know picks they could have just switch that That's, and it'd be this exactly the same the main characters didn't even get that information of flesh eating bugs at the same time the audience did they just see this guy like run into a wall and die and just go like huh well that was weird yeah, yeah. And, moving on anyway yeah, moving on unnecessary this, yeah he he doesn't feel any more real or fleshed out than like the guards in the prison and men in tights like who are the same sort of stereotype of just you know rude angry like again they say smelly arabic guys like it's a problem it's a real like problem portrayal in this movie which is otherwise filled with like really great characters so i I don't know he feels almost like a studio note like somebody was like we need a comedic character we can make fun of and then kill yeah bad it could be like if they could be inappropriately ethnic that'd be great Signed hmm. the yeah. studio. Okay, we we had a couple more questions to answer here. I feel like these is probably a little bit less to say. This movie, how do we feel like it deals with anything in the way of disability or mental illness? Do we feel like there's any meaningful portrayal of those things in here? No. No. I, <laughs> yeah. Me no. Neither. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't even think there's not even like a a lot of these things. There's you know some sort of insanity brought on by a curse or something like that and there's not even really anything like that yeah no yeah i mean i guess you could argue that like that brief moment between uh when one of the americans loses his eyes and tongue and before he becomes just like totally juiced out yeah yeah i don't feel like there's anything meaningful to say about yeah no i i I guess it exists i don't have anything to say about it though yeah it's not really like anything that they focus on yeah it's just not there the other question here, which uh, I feel like is largely a result of the 1999-ness of this movie, 
is uh, the question of LGBT representation in here. How do you feel about that? Is there is there any? I mean, um, I feel like this movie was purposely made to torture bisexual people. <laughs> there's like there's like outer representation in that. Like as a bisexual, I was I was outed by this film. Yeah. Like, yeah. Myself. Yeah, it's like, it's how, like, hmm. I can't get credit mm-hmm. for much, like, in the movie, but in terms yeah. of its real life impact, uh, it's it, they should just straight up have, like, the bisexual flag, like, on the cover art. Yeah, I'm seriously. It's a bisexual thirst trap. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Just a problem for everyone. <laughs> uh, I, I just have this, this was a note I said was here for, for Ben, and it's just Jonathan? Question mark. Um, so I feel like I feel like Jonathan has real like uh, messy gay uncle vibes. Oh yeah, I feel like Jonathan would be pan. I feel like Jonathan. Oh just yeah, equal good, opportunity. Jonathan's just up for a good time wherever that good time happens to find him. Mm-hmm. Jonathan yeah. looking to be a sugar baby to somebody. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I definitely see that hundred percent. Yeah, I don't think there's anything in this movie that rules that out. Jonathan doesn't have a romantic arc of any point, nor is he particularly horny in this movie. Uh, yeah, the way both Evie and, and Rick are. Yeah, I I do love that this movie lets Evie kind of like openly thirst. Oh yeah, hundred percent. It's so good. Yeah, Evie is is definitely like I feel like she's hornier than Rick in this movie. Like Rick definitely has a couple of moments of like being impressed by Evie, but I feel like those moments are equally like being impressed with her intelligence. Mm -hmm. Rick is falling in love. Like Rick is seeing, like I see like Rick's face and that's the face of a man falling in love. Evie's got a different look on her face. Just actively (laughs) thirsting after. Yes. Yeah. Just actively. It's it's interesting and and it makes their relationship different from like other like kind of romance relationships and like these kind of action adventure action horror movies like i think i don't mean to keep going back to tom cruise's mummy but it's such a great comparison <laughs> but in that film he's supposed to have like a little tension with like dr lady md but there's negative chemistry like yeah, like their their chemistry score is lower than my math score in high school um <laughs> And, and there's also, there's nothing there. Like, there's no reason for them to like each other. And you see that mm-hmm. a lot in these action films. Like, that's why I don't like James Bond films. Because I'm like, oh, why does she like him? Like, yeah, Daniel mm-hmm. Craig is like, I guess, daddy to some people. But he's also kind of a dick. Like, why do you yeah. like him? You're half his age. One of is the Rick- big exceptions. Fucking Casino Royale. Start. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, with Rick and Evie, like, Rick isn't aggressive in the way that he falls for her like and he's not aggressive in like his pursuit of her and he doesn't have this kind of air of like disliking her or being mm-hmm. like you know she's a little uppity she's like she's hot but she's a little uppity the most you kind of get of that is when he jokes to jonathan about like trading her for like the camels and yeah like they have that early tension where like you know they're their personalities are kind of rubbing up against each other because of the circumstances because Rick has information that Evie doesn't. But she they does not like that. Yeah, and they they organically kind of get over that because he starts to see her like as a person. Like he's like, you know, you saved my life and you know you're you have this vibrancy to you that's attractive. It's not just the fact that she's like hot. And yeah. for Evie it's like, you know, you were gross, but now you're kind of hot. Like no yeah. you're, Plus, you you steal things for me. Like, that's pretty... Mm -hmm. I'm kind of into that. And I do like that there's little (laughs) moments that do show Evie recognizing that there is more to Rick or that, like, there's more of a mind Mm -hmm. to it. Like, when she... Like, when they're on the boat 
And she says like, oh, you know your history. And like, you know, he has that nice little retort. He's like, I know my treasure, but it still just yeah. shows her actively picking up on and learning and appreciating new facets of him. And I like that scene on that on the boat when they're having this shootout and the bullets are coming closer and closer to oh, Rick. Yes. And she pulls oh, him away. She pulls him. He's right. like, oh. Mm, so yeah. <laughs> the actual physicality of the actors meshes really well. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's those tiny little character beats that really help build that relationship into something where you're like, yeah, I buy this and I'm not mad about it. I even ship it. Like these two work, like they work as a unit. And that's emphasized more in like the sequel. Um, I love in the the opening of the sequel, they're in another tomb because of course they are. And they both (laughs) confront like different walls or different like doors that are locked and they both have a specific way of doing it. And they're both like, all right, we'll do it your way this time. And they know each other's way. And there's such a, a sense of like familiarity. Yeah. The two actors. It's so that It just works. I like that. And neither of them is ever trying to keep the other from doing what they're best at or what we, the audience want to see them do. Yeah. I think just it's funny. So this is the third movie in a row where uh, for this conversation of like, yeah, this movie actually uh, made us root for a straight couple that's, you know, being shipped in the movie. Yeah. Hey, sometimes it happens. Sometimes there's a decent straight romance. Mm-hmm. Not often, but it can happen. Yeah, that's something that just doesn't happen often because usually, in my opinion, like these, those romances feel like, like a studio note, you know, or they feel yeah. very shoehorned or they feel solely from like the male protagonist's point of view. Yeah. And it turns the female lead into like this object or how Ben was saying, I think it was Ben earlier was saying like a prize. Neither Evie or Rick are a prize to each other. And Evie especially because it happens so often with like female leads, especially in the Indiana Jones movies where he's essentially just given this, this feisty, you know, hot young woman as a prize for I don't know, raiding tombs or surviving yeah. spheres. Like, oh, I, I fear snakes too, like, Indiana. Like, Spider-Man, calm down. You're yeah. not special. Yeah, like, you Spider-Man so well. <laughs> I'm in love with you now, Spider-Man. Yeah. yeah. For Evie and Rick, it's like they they slowly fall for each other's like best qualities and they bring out each other's best qualities as time goes on. You know, Evie's a librarian and she's proud of it. And Rick's like, that's dope. I'm proud of it. And, you know, she sacrifices herself to save them. And Rick's like, that's really noble. Like, that's attractive. You fall in love with both of them as they're falling in love with each other. Yeah. And as a team, they're more than the sum of their parts. Like you said, like, they make each other, like like you said, they make each other better. They bring out the best in each other. And that's, like, a great, like, attribute of Evie's character as a single, as, like, a singular character. Because so often in film, like, the female lead doesn't have her own character, which is why people don't really like the couple's when they couple up at the end because it's like she has no agency or she had no real plot importance or like she really didn't do much you know she was just she was just there to exist it doesn't feel like it's a the coming together of two individuals who you like on their own like forming something like a new kind of bond like it is here like where rick and evie are each characters that are so much there's so much to like about each of them on their own you see in film now trying to do the opposite where they're like well the woman doesn't have to end up with a man and you fall into other trappings you see this especially like disney films like with the like moana and films like that where like the girl of color the carrot like the, the woman of color doesn't get any romance or there's Princess and the Frog where she's a frog for most of the movie and then she gets romance and I'm still mad about it, you know? And it's it's too far 
to the other end, you know, it's not so much about never pairing up the female character with a guy. It's about making sure she's not a prize for the male character. Like it's making sure she's her own individual character. And it again, astounds me that a movie in 1999 was able to do that so well, while like a movie in 2017 couldn't and didn't even really try. Disney, just look at what you did with Mulan and Li Shang and do that some more. And they took that out of the new Mulan, so. They sure did. <sighs> the animated Mulan, another very bi movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, that's that's our questions here. I think the, the only thing left question-wise about this movie is, uh, I guess, 20 years on, would you still recommend The Mummy to people listening to this podcast? They should go check it out? Yes. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, it's a super fun adventure film. Like, there's a lot to love about it. Yeah, I think going knowing that is from 1999, so certain things haven't aged well from, like, certain characters to certain, like, plot points maybe to, like, some special effects. But overall, it's still, a so- like, a really solid movie. And it's a really engaging, fun movie. If you have a night to yourself or with your friends, like it's just an entertaining popcorn flick to quote Mm -hmm. Roger Ebert. Like it's just, it's engaging. It's got good characters. It's funny without being forcefully funny. Um, And it's got really great quotable lines. Absolutely. I think I I fall along the same lines. I came into this really worried because I hadn't watched the mommy movies in a while. And I was like, ah, I'm betting there's a lot of like, uncomfortable racism in there and it's not it's not as if there isn't i mean there is like we said gatasan is a really rough portrayal of, of arabic people in general and arabic men especially but for the most part it, it does it really well and it, it manages to like you said be more more feminist and more sensitive to cultural stuff than you know a a tom cruise mummy that is you know 20 years younger it, it seems to be a pretty Pretty good exception to all of that. I'm pleasantly surprised by that. Now, I guess uh, the the big thing we have left is um, having having watched this. Uh, if somebody has seen this or they like the Mummy, do you guys have other recommendations for other media? You know, TV, books, mo- other movies, whatever that that you think pair nicely for for somebody who's liking this. The Mummy Returns. <laughs> I think if you want another <laughs> very 90s swashbuckling action adventure movie that's unreasonably horny, definitely Mask of Zorro. I feel like that needs to be our next podcast as well, is just unreasonably horny. Um, <laughs> I'm in for it. But I will unfortunately tear the Mask of Zorro to shreds, and Desiree knows this. Yeah. So, you know. Oh, <laughs> I don't know if I have anything that's like genre adjacent to like the mummy, but if you want something that's a little satirical, a lot of fun, that's also like horror adjacent, Deep Lucy is Ooh. is great. It's probably my second favorite shark movie. I'm a huge shark movie, like shark horror movie stan. There was one thing I stand in this world, it would be shark movies. Hello, Cool J, so good with his parrot friend. (laughs) He really is. And that, (laughs) like The Mummy, that movie has a lot of like great little surprises and a lot of like subversion of like the the tropes that you kind of know, you know, or that you might just be kind of familiar with. And it's very self-aware. Like, I, I'd say The Mummy and Deep Blue Sea are both very self-aware movies in the, the genre type and the stories that they're telling. And yeah. they work. Um, the Mummy is a better film, but 
Deep Blue Sea is a, is a great fun, like monster horror film that yeah. I, I love to bits and pieces. <laughs> and me, Mamita loves LL Cool J. It's a little uncomfortable <laughs> watching it with her, but she loves him. So when she visits, I know we're going to watch that together. So yeah, I guess off the top of my head, that's, that's what I got. Yeah. I'm, I was struggling to, to figure out something in particular that, uh, ticked all the boxes that this one does. And instead, I think I just came up with a couple of different things that do it nicely. We've had a lot of fun here at the expense of the dark universe. Um, <laughs> and I, I did not see, I have not seen the mummy movie, but I have seen. Look, at least movies. someone's getting fun out of the dark universe. <laughs> right. At least so, something good should come out of that debacle. Well, I have recently seen The Invisible Man, which is uh, sort of, I guess, theoretically was supposed to be tied to all of that. doesn't feel like it's at all tied to any of that. Yeah. No, now it's, they know what that is. That is a good Not even a little a one. one. But yeah. that was a good film. Yeah, and Elizabeth Moss is great in it. And oh, I yeah. feel like that is, as much as, like, this movie should have just trigger warnings on the front cover of it, because it is very centrally about domestic abuse and gaslighting. You will, you will feel bad at points in this movie because she feels bad and there's no reason not to. It really solidly, I feel like it's not just a scary movie either. I feel like it's a really artfully made movie that they're going to be teaching in, in classes at some point because so much of the suspense of it is built by just like shooting hallways and yeah they're empty but like the bad guy you know is invisible and you know he is around somewhere and they just ratchet up the tension so much and elizabeth moss sells it so hard like she is just so distressed and so fucked up the whole time uh which i'm i know is sort of like a specialty of her acting wise yeah whether that's by choice or by circumstance but um it, it's incredibly made. And they are also really light on CGI special effects. Yeah, the practical effects on that one are also very, very good. Yeah, it, it could have been just, you know, laden down with uh, CGI special effects. And it's not to the point that like when there are real CG special effects in there, they're surprising, but not off-putting. They're used really sparingly mm-hmm. in, in ways that really ratchet up the tension of the movie it does not it is not fun and swashbucklingy and there's a <laughs> little in the way of fighting in it until like very very late on which is why i also wanted to talk a little bit about uh something that we, we have talked about covering on here and probably at some point will uh which are the the especially the first two alien movies alien and alien yes. because i think that's an example of of a character who's just done right as a female protagonist that she is not any one particular thing but she is at at various points in this movie just a force of nature oh yeah she is she is surviving the hell out of this movie and fighting one or more aliens with everything she's got that's that's one thing the one other thing that i think is most closely related to the feel of this movie and is is very sort of timely and fits into that sort of category of they, they don't make them like this anymore is the original Pirates of the Caribbean Curse of the Black Ooh, Girl. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which, yeah. Like, has That's that definitely... swashbuckling quality. Elizabeth Swan, for not being perfectly done in this regard, is like a character who has agency 
who wants things and actually gets better, I feel like, as the series goes on. 100%. Yeah, to decline. And the steep, more better. than any other character, she's treated very well by the sequels. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah, I would say she's definitely the standout and the only character like that has like a through-line arc yeah. with those sequel films. And they stopped yeah. painting her boobs, which was great. Because I, I watched an interview with Kira Knightley and uh, they showed a, a screen cap of um, her as Elizabeth Swan. And she was like, all that cleavage you see, she's like, that's all fake. She's like, that none of that was real. She's like, I was all makeup. That was the, they pushed any little bit she had up and she's <laughs> like, the rest was all makeup. She's oh a very petite God. woman. Yeah. yeah. So I've seen, she's been victim to like Hollywood Photoshop a lot. They did the same thing to her on the posters for that, oh, what was that, that terrible King Arthur movie that she was in. Oh, yeah. King um, Arthur. Arthur. Yeah. But, uh, but I, I do love Pirates in the Caribbean. That first one is, such a solid movie like yeah out being anything else like that's such a solid movie the rest of the films especially like the newer ones the new new ones like it's actually interesting to compare elizabeth swan in that first film with the lead female character from the newest film um where they like get poseidon's trident or whatever there's this really horrible running joke about the female character the female lead and that one whose name i cannot remember for the life of me where she's she studies like an orology or something something about the stars and the characters the male characters around her keep joking that she's a whore because it sounds like horology oh yeah, yeah. it's that so sounds, bad that sounds it's really exhausting so, it's, it's so, so bad. exhausting i mean they keep going back and making this joke over and over and over and i was like dude it wasn't funny the first time and it's not funny the 16th time like an hour into the film but it's interesting how like that's a more recent film and i would argue that that female character is way worse off than elizabeth was in that first film and that original pirates film kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier how like the newest mummy movie is way worse than the 1999 version and the idea of all these discussions is that we move forward like we move media forward we get better at it not that we regress so it's an interesting reflection on like the media landscape and like our our media like history absolutely so i am one of those people that uh for for years i've been prone to say the words pirates of the caribbean curse of the black pearl is a perfect movie not that it's the best movie but that it is a movie that like is trimmed down to exactly what you need to tell that story every yeah of it is it's perfectly well made it's pretty perfectly constructed in that every character's arc is perfectly seated and paced through all three acts. Definitely. And, and Jeffrey Rush is the perfect villain for that movie. Oh, he's, <laughs> such, he's such a good villain. Yeah. I mean, it, it so doesn't great. matter that Orlando Bloom is kind of a crap actor. He's, <laughs> he does exactly what he needs to do in that and, movie. Yeah, which and is... Orlando Bloom is also in the film. <laughs> also starring <laughs> Orlando Bloom. Uh, but yeah, I think Elizabeth Swan is, is a great character and, for as much as Jack Sparrow has been running to the ground, he is really fun in that first movie. Yeah, you look yeah. back and you watch Curse of the Black Pearl and you remember like, oh yeah, no, there's a reason why this character That's why they off. made eight more pirates. Yep. I, I feel like I should add an attempt to my uh, Master Zorro uh, recommendation that while it is like a very fun movie like and very much it's that adventure-like feel, it's very 90s and the racial politics, especially around all of its casting is very problematic for sure. Oh yeah. That's not something that's changed a ton. Like, uh, I mean, seriously, Anthony Hopkins is what? 
<laughs> Anthony Hopkins was in that film? Yes, yeah, yeah, he's Anthony Hopkins so plays original the original guy. Zorro. Just, there's just no Latinx people in that movie. No, I there mean, isn't. Uh, the, comp- the source material in and of itself has a lot of issues. And I think like the conversation, it's, it's not so much like, you know, these things were, were bad, we should ignore them. It's more like these things had issues and we should discuss those issues so that we can make better content. So it's like, yeah, there's, there's issues in like The Legend of, of Zorro, absolutely. You know? But I wouldn't mind seeing a remake or a reboot or maybe something within like that source material that took those problems and tried to update them, modernize them, make them better. Like, I would love to see maybe something like that for The Mummy. Like, I think the film is very much a product of its time in that it's also not so much just the the narrative and the casting, but also like the the tone of the movie, since it's so influenced by like the Indiana Jones franchises and those things. I don't know if the tone of this movie in particular could really be redone, but I'd like to see like films that are based in Egypt or about Egyptian mythology and about Egyptian culture that are more modern and more reflective of actual like life as it is, you know? Um, There's such a rich culture there even to this day, like present day, like it's not like Egypt doesn't exist. You know, it's not like yeah. there's not other yeah. things you could do about it. So I would, I would like to see films that are more real, um, even if they're fantasy based. It would be, it would be interesting. Uh, I'm hoping for a comedic fish out of water story where like the mummy wakes up and it's after three thousand years and it's like, what modern day Egypt? I've how does cell phones work? <laughs> and it's just him trying to figure out, like, and it's just this ancient pharaoh making his way through, like, modern-day Cairo. This is a movie that definitely <laughs> contains the phrase, check, please. Yeah, Pretty sure adventure. that was a Disney Channel movie at some point. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like this is, I feel like the same argument applies here that we've used frequently talking about the Iron Fist TV show and Iron Fist in general, is there's no reason if you're updating this and modernizing this the the heroes of this story cannot be themselves egyptian um yeah because yeah. you know there is a long time between they were halfway the there with these characters Egypt. like there's there's no reason iron fist can't be you know a, a chinese or chinese american guy and there's no reason that you couldn't have uh you know an evie who is herself egyptian um, mm-hmm. It makes that line about Egypt being in her blood much less problematic. It's like, <laughs> I love Rachel Weiss. I love Rachel Weiss in this movie. Uh, Rachel Weiss is extremely not half Egyptian. Yeah, like it would be cool because Evie says that her and her brother, like their mother, is Egyptian. And it'd be cool to have a film that is, you know, set in that fantasy, you know, action adventure horror setting with an actual like Egyptian female lead and, you know, play off that like let her be the protagonist and, and maybe you know get a guy or get a girl like that would be cool yeah tom cruise doesn't need more films he's got like 60 more mission impossibles to film you're talking about a lack of chemistry between a male lead and basically any female lead that he's been matched with like it's not yeah that's just it's, not happening it's bad i think the the only funny line in that film is when russell crowe's dr jekyll mr hyde character t- tells tom cruise you are a younger man and i'm like where are you all like the same age? <laughs> Tom Cruise is in his fifties by now. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, like, Russell Crowe's been living much older. He's yeah. he's much older looking, man. That's for sure. 
Um, oh my god, Tom Russell Tom Cruise is older than Russell Crowe. Oh my god. That doesn't surprise me at all. He is yeah. two years Tom Cruise is two years older than Russell Crowe. Must have yeah. paid Russell Crowe quite a bit to say that line. Because mm-hmm. he said it with his whole chest. I'm pretty sure Tom I'm pretty sure Russell Crowe aged another year just by saying that line. Uh, I guess we gotta look out for the, the release date for Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, huh? That should be oh, out any day. <laughs> All right. I, I think that covers everything. We've got our recommendations there for anybody who wants to to check out the one I guess the one movie that might have been in the uh, Dark Universe had the Dark Universe survived to the mummy. Uh, you know, Invisible Man is still still very good uh, and is very much a horror movie. If you're okay with, you know, the, the subject material of that one, which a lot of people I can understand would not want to see that movie. Before we let everybody go, why don't we uh, go through and let everybody know where they can find us online so they can, you know, ask us more questions, talk more to us. Let's start with you, Ben. Yeah, uh, you can find me mostly on Twitter at, at BenTheCon. Uh, you can find uh, my most recent comics, uh, Griffin Galaxy's Most Wanted and Heavenly Blues on Comixology. And uh, the Heavenly Blues trade paperback is available to buy online at the Scout Comics store. Keep an eye out uh, for pre-orders of Renegade Rule, which is coming out from Dark Horse Comics next spring. And Alexis? Me at... Rexus92, so R-E-X-U-S-92 on Twitter. And you can find Latinx Geeks everywhere. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch there. So, yeah. And Desiree, where can people find you? Uh, you got People can find me on Twitter and Instagram under uh, Baruikla Desiree. Um, I'm much more active on Instagram. Uh, lots of cat pictures. Um, and sometimes I post about stuff that I'm editing or the books that I'm maybe sort of acquiring. So we're just more to come for that. And uh, everybody can find me at jrome58. So it's J-R-O-M-E-5-8 on Twitter and Instagram. And my uh, website is jeremywhitley.com. Pretty soon we're going to have uh, some more information on the podcast and where you can find uh, various things for this online. We're working on putting together a, a Patreon and a website and uh by the time this comes out, you will you will know more about the distribution, but we're uh, working on putting that together right now as well. But that is it for this evening. We will see you next week. Uh, until then, thank you very much for joining us and have just, just pleasant dreams of burrowing bugs. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Take care, everyone. Progressively Horrified is created and produced by Jeremy Whitley. This episode was written by Jeremy Whitley, Ben Kahn, Desiree Rodriguez, and Alexis Sanchez. All opinions expressed by the commentators are solely their own and not intended to represent the intent or opinion of the filmmakers or any of the commentators, publishers, or employers. Our theme music is Epic Darkness by Mario Cole 06 and was downloaded royalty-free from Pixabay. If you want to sponsor Progressively Horrified, please contact Jeremy Whitley on Twitter at jrum 58 or via his website at jeremywhitley.com. Yeah, now well, I want to go watch The Mummy too, Mummy <laughs> Returns, so, you know, that's probably going to be the rest of my night.
Do it, and then report back about the weird CGI for Rock Scorpion. Oh gosh, no, that lives in my dreams. Like I don't need to rewatch that. I know what it looks like. His super plasticky <laughs> face. 